How you cope with the heat? Yeah, I was going to say sweaty. I believe uh, the phrase our friend likes to use is ball soup. It's oh just God, happening. yeah, I feel it. Like, right, the worst part is because we've been recording, I can't even like turn my fan on or have nope. a window open. Just That's um, the worst part. In the background. Yeah. The worst one for me, though, is I've um, got, when I moved into my apartment, it's got really nice big windows. Oh, it's really nice. That's a lot of light in. The mm. problem is those windows let a lot of light in. <laughs> so when you're like me and you're like sleeping past anything beyond sunrise mm-hmm. like every morning at sunrise I've got a blaring light coming through my window so I know what I'll do I'll buy a sleep mask just to cover my eyes the problem is now I'm sweating on my eyes <laughs> I don't think you've ever experienced uncomfortableness like waking up and having sweaty eyes oh, just eye sweat just, oh, just like because it's underneath the mask yeah and like, and like you should get, your eyelids feel wet and moist and you take it off to go to the toilet and you get back into bed and go, I don't really want to put this back on my head. Oh. But I know if I don't, I'm going to wake up in the morning. It's like, oh no. <laughs> first world problems, first world problems. But anyway, yeah. hello folks. Welcome to episode 33. Uh, 33. 33 of yeah. the Carl's Connor podcast. And as per usual, I enjoy by my friend Lucas. Say hello, Lucas. Guten Morgen. And, and we're here today um, in a world that's changed a lot since the last time we recorded. I think says the world has... It's, it's changed. It's not good. We're in the darkest timeline now, um, confirmed. Um, yeah. The mid-season arc of 2020 is over, and we're just into the fucking finale now. Ugh. Because I think I don't think anything highlights the divide between the UK and America in regards to the things that happened there. Uh, more than last week, we talked about the literal biggest story in the UK being a guy who went for a drive. <laughs> <laughs> like that was the. Like, are we not making this up, America? I know. I know it sounds quaint, but the biggest story in the UK was a man who went for a drive. And, and obviously, poli- that's in the context of like the lockdown and everything. Yeah. yeah, and it was a politician doing that. And then you fast forward just one week, just seven days. Seven days later, you have the president of the United States threatening to violently suppress protesters that are on his lawn. Uh, yeah, shooting the looters shoot the looters and also telling people that are outside the White House that the Secret Service were itching to use their guns. Holy shit, I didn't hear that bit. Oh, did you not see that one? Yeah, Violet um, is telling people outside the White House the Secret Service will shoot if you mess. And then as of this morning, um, so last night for Americans, for the first time in any presidential like presidential tenure uh, in living memory, um, the lights that illuminate the White House went dark. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, was apparently so Trump could go into the bunker below the White House. I believe the so, pro- yeah. The protesters outside were getting rowdy. And uh, the significance of that is this only, it only ever happens during freak power cuts, and even then the White House has um, secondary generators, or when the president is dead. Oh. Yeah. So I don't think there's any... It's really it's one of those things that if you put it into a TV show or a movie, everyone will say it's ham fisted. Yeah, yeah. Or it, it sounds like oh god, that's that's something a writer would do, with a, <laughs> like to symbolically show that the leadership in America is so bad. Do the thing that shows that the president is dead or might as well not be there, and it actually happened. Yeah, he actually went and fucking did it. Yeah, and it's just, oh, but just when you compare those two things, it makes Britain seem so quaint. Uh, yeah, a, a so... man went for a drive. America is currently on fire. It's like on fire and the police and the National Guard are beating the shit out of peaceful protesters. And shooting at the press. Mm-hmm. Which is something that only happens um, in um, oppressive dictatorships. 
Yep. And there's nothing more to say other than it's fucking disgusting, and my heart goes out to everyone who's out there. I, I feel for them. I feel so bad. Because you um, see it in the news, yeah, and you just feel so powerless and helpless. Let's maybe just take one second to say, like, I... And this doesn't sound like a hot take, but apparently it is. It like, is, yeah. you know, side with the protesters. Yeah, and also Black Lives Matter. A yes, sentence that I can't believe. So. <laughs> it's so con- it's so controversial. Because you say it, and Black Lives Matter, and it's, oh, actually, no, all lives matter. Because, okay, sure, but in this specific regard, we're talking about these black people who are overwhelmingly targeted by the police. And I, the, um, the I comic saw one tweet that kind of oh, summed it up for me quite well, and it was... Oh, imagine saying this about your house when somebody else's house is on fire. It's like, call the fire, like, you know, call the um, emergency services, my house is on fire, and turning around and go, well, my house matters as well. Yeah, but yours isn't the one that currently needs help. Yeah, yours is <laughs> on the other fire, one. so... Um, it's a similar thing. It's when um, women, uh, they speak generally about men and say, like, men are bastards, or like men um, commit horrible sexual crimes against women you always have that guy who comes in and goes well not all men mm-hmm. and it's another you know, speaking in a general sense also we're not talking to you please shut up but the way i heard that summed up is this is this tweet and it's a woman calling the police like help some men are breaking into my house like, well not all men would do that <laughs> i wouldn't do that and it's just oh it's so fucking perfect <laughs> it, it, that is a beautiful summation yeah some men are breaking into my house. Well, not all men do that. I wouldn't do that. Because we were not. T- I'm not talking about you, clearly. Yeah. And the one that I saw this morning that I was really surprised to see is Sony, of all companies, are just fucking on that train of fuck you. And they're actively shit-talking people on Twitter about it. Have you seen this? No. The official Twitter account for Sony, not like Sony America, like Sony, tweeted out, we stand in support of um, the protesters and Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And then you got people, the usual suspects, or I think all lives matter. Yeah. To which the Sony um, account responded, then say Black Lives Matter. <laughs> it's like, if you think all lives matter, then say that Black Lives Matter too. Yeah. The fact that you won't say that says, and it's like, oh, it's so perfect. Yeah, It's exactly. so good. It's one of those, it, I've never before seen just, it's three words. But it's three words that can immediately tell you so much about a person based yep. on either their reaction to it or their lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Where if you say it and someone has no reaction whatsoever, it's like, yeah, it's fine. Or if you say it and they agree with you. But then yep. you'll say it and people will look visually uncomfortable. And the thing that I've seen when I've said it before, and you'll say it like a group of friends, and there's maybe some mutual friends there you don't really know that well, mm-hmm. and they'll do the same thing. And it is, they'll, sh- they'll shift uncomfortably in their seat as if they want to correct you. Yeah, but they can't gauge the feel of the room just yet and know if they'll get away with saying it. They don't know if it's like a, a like I'm using air quotes here, but safe space. The exact same thing they'd probably make fun of if you talked about it. Yeah, exactly. But they don't know if it's a safe space to suddenly start dropping their diet racism. But yeah, um, it's weird that it's controversial for you to say that, but apparently it is, and I just want to put it out there. Uh, I, I put a tweet out about it the other day. Where it's like, just in case it needs to be clarified, fuck racists. Yep. And also, fuck turfs and trans rights. Mm-hmm. A sentence that it seems innocuous to me, but is one that will piss off a, a good number of people. It's very strange to me that that's a sentence that, to me, yet, yeah, uh, as you say, is just very innocuous and just like, well, of course, that's common sense. And then you get people turning around and saying, that, like, you've got a bad take. 
it sends them into a frothing rage. Just saying the the words "Black Lives Matter" annoys them so much because they're not being included. Mm-hmm. It's like not everything has to be about you. And they also try and twist it as a deliberate perversion of what it means by saying, well, I don't think any lives matter more than others. Yeah. And I think it's actually quite insulting to say that black lives matter more. It's like, but they're not saying that. You are deliberately misinterpreting what they're saying. Exactly, so you don't yeah. have to address it because it makes you uncomfortable. It's like, the fact uh, it makes you uncomfortable is proof that it's something that needs to be said. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And that's the thing is they're taking a very, very surface level of what the, the phrase means. They're reading not, it literally, yeah. Yeah, not taking... Any kind of, you know, world context into the account of it. It's like, how can you be so fucking shallow? It's, I'm going to read what you said literally to make it sound like you're the one who's being mean. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that people listening to this all agree with that. Because if you're one of those people getting mad that we're saying that, you can go fuck yourself. You can yeah, stop listening stop right listening now. now. Stop watching my videos. Um, don't bother following me on Twitter or messaging about it because I'll tell you to fuck off and block you. I don't care what you have to say. Mm-hmm. This, it's not a conversation that needs your input right now. Go and fuck yourself. Yep, basically. And you know this because you've seen the response to it, right? The most controversial thing I've ever said in my entire career as a creator is if you are racist and you watch my content, don't. I don't want your money. Mm-hmm. And I legitimately had people message me saying, I can't believe you do this. I don't think this is the right time, Carl. Or just any other manner of criticisms of, yeah, I I make racist jokes and I'm with your friend, when I'm with my friends. And it makes me uncomfortable that you're making me confront that. Oh, my God. Because no. you know that's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. So, well, people who say racist things, they might not necessarily be racist. And goes, well, no, that's you saying that because you've said stuff and you don't <laughs> want to analyse your own behaviour because you think you're a fundamentally good person. And being forced to confront this aspect of your personality is something you don't want to do. So you're going to lash out at me instead. And see it as an attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's and... the thing is, like, I know a lot of friends who, like, you know, when we were younger, did similar things. But it's almost as if they've learned that's a bad thing to do and stop doing it. Yeah. Everyone's a dickhead when they're a kid. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, um, you can't, like... There's a reason that if you commit minor crimes as a child, they generally get quashed from your records. Mm-hmm. Because children and younger people, they, they lack the, just the empathy and ability of older people. And when they get to a certain age, it's, it's understood that by a certain point in time, you should have learned that this is not okay. Yeah, yeah. And there's only so long you can use ignorance as an excuse. Yeah, I would say, you know, when... When you're at the phase where you're like young adult, you need to start learning and, you know, appropriating that kind of knowledge. Yeah, like developing empathy for other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a friend of mine who likes to say this, uh, it's not, um, it's not an attack on you. Some people just exist. Or it's not um, people who say it's pandering to put, like, say, a gay person in a film or a TV show or a video game. It's not pandering. Some people just exist. Yeah, and they don't, and sometimes they don't look or sound or act like you, which is a good thing based on your reaction to this thing happening. Yeah, and I'm glad there are less people, and I'd, I'd rather have less people like you in the world. Oh yeah, for sure. Because your opinions are regressive, and they make the world a worse place to live for a lot of people. Yeah, something I'm able to say and not get called a very spe- a certain specific word because I'm not a woman, and an even worse, even more specific word because I'm not black. Uh huh. And that's called acknowledging your privilege. That's something people can't do. Anyway, 
Uh, that, that's it. That, we've pissed off the, the racists and the, the diet racists enough now. So what are you right, going to do this week, my friend? Yeah. Get rid of those people. I just feel like it needs to be said because the amount, whenever stuff like this crops up, you'll always see, like speaking from the world that I can um, have experience and have some like knowledge of, mm-hmm. YouTubers and online creators, they shy away from it so much. So, so much. Uh, and they'll do everything in their power to act, to not address it directly because they don't want to piss off that element of their fan base. And you know what it is, Carl? They don't like seeing the numbers go down. Yeah. I call that cowardice. Moral yeah. cowardice of the highest order. And I said this yesterday on stream, and like, at the very least, racists believe in something, cowards don't. <laughs> oh, God. Like, if you'll sell, out, you'll sell out your own beliefs for money... I'd say that's worse because you don't even fucking believe in anything, man. God, so I know. You're not even, you've not even got any commitment. The, the worst thing is, is like, I've seen a lot of people being outspoken in a good way on Twitter, like mm-hmm. people that I follow, and basically, you know, saying, yeah, racists, go fuck yourself. And then, you know, a day later, tweeting out, like, it's A, it's a good thing that you've gone, but B, it's noticeable how many people have stopped following me, and that's disgraceful. Yeah, yeah sums it all up. It's like, it's the fact that, okay, well, I'm not arsed that I'm losing followers, but the fact there's that many people that are insulted enough to stop following me because I said fuck racists. Yeah. But then again, you don't want those people's money. Or, at the very least, you don't want to feel those kind of people to feel like they're being placated. Mm-hmm. Now, if you believe that sort of thing, you should feel like you're being attacked because it's an awful way to think and it actively damages the world. Yeah, Exactly. And I, it's that one, it's the, the great um, inverse of the Make America Great Again red hat. There's one that just says on it, make racists scared again. And people get so mad at that. <laughs> and the fact like that, that people get mad about it sums up why it needs to exist. It's like, yeah. God damn it. It's so easy. It's so simple. Just people exist. Stop being dicks about Carl, it. think about the racist's emotions. I've got to do it, man. Oh, man, you can't be mean to a racist. Because what you're doing, what you're doing, Lucas, when you make fun of a racist is singling someone out for harassment for for something that they believe. And that's as bad as the racist, Lucas. Fuck. Have you seen that argument thrown no. about? Because that's the one that people use to try and turn it on you when you say stuff like that. And the reason I know about it is I saw it with John Boyega. Oh, yeah. No, wait, I did see this. Yeah, because okay. someone saying, oh, you hating a group of people is just as bad as the group as... of people hating you. And John Boy... So we should set the scene. John Boyega, in response to the riots in America, just tweeted out the simple phrase, I really fucking hate racists. Mm-hmm. A, st- a sentence, as we established, should not be a controversial thing to say. Yeah. It's just, I really fucking hate racists. And... I'm pretty sure as a guy who's black, he's probably experienced his fair share of it. Especially one in the mainstream media and in Star Wars. And and one from London. Yeah, true, yeah. <laughs> and a black guy from London, I'm pretty sure he's, he's experienced his fair share yep. of rage. And just that sentence is so innocuous, and it sent people into a blind, frothing rage, mm-hmm. which led to the exchange that Lucas was alluding to. Would you like to um, repeat it for me, my friend? Shall I uh, quickly just run up this tweet? Yeah, you, you can find it so we can, get, we can get the exact exchange. So I don't um, have to, like, um, uneloquently talk about it. Yeah, so you don't have to misquote the racist, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to quote them correctly. And it's, just, it's amazing to see how sentences like that annoy so many people. It's just a simple thing of, I hate racists, incredible. annoys them. It's like, why would that annoy you? 
Why would that be a thing that would make you just froth at the mouth? Like, why of all things is this the hill you want to die on? I know, yeah. So, I know, I think your definition of racist is too white. Oh my god. Oh. It's like, oh man, not everything is racist. Some things are just, it's called, it's, I'm just stereotyping another person because of their race. That's not racist. It's called <laughs> a joke. It's like, oh god, it's so bad. Like, oh. And the thing is, we live in an age where you can't even mock them. Or you can't even par- like make something that's obviously sarcastic in regards to the way those people can they, they think. Because you'll find an example of it on Twitter. Yeah. Which I'm hoping you've done right now, Lucas. Uh, I've, I've got John Boyega's thing, but I don't think he's retweeted it himself. Okay, well, it'll definitely be in the thing. So I'll have a quick look then. Oh, God. Am I going to have to do the research instead, Lucas? Maybe. Am I going to have to fucking step in? Potentially. I mean, you're the one who's good at researching things. Okay, I'll find it now. So you've got a riff instead, Lucas. Go. I mean, yeah, like... I, fair play to like I think John Boyega along with a bunch of other people were like tweeting out similar things but fair play to like John Boyega being one of the first people just outrightly coming out on Twitter and just going out oh, really just straight up racist. I fucking hate racist just straight away absolutely and uh, no qualms so I found, I found the exchange here okay so we start with a tweet from Known legend and big dick hero, John Boyega, at yep. John Boyega on Twitter, which simply says, I really fucking hate racists. To which one, David Maris, because he tweeted this from an account with his own face and name on it. Oh my God. What a hero. Says in response, so you hate a group of people who hate a group of people. Pat yourself on the back. Thumbs up. So he's very clearly doing that thing of, oh man, so people who hate racists, Lucas, they're the real racists. They are just as bad as racists because they yeah. hate a group of people, Carl. Even though the latter wouldn't exist without the former. It's weird anyway. that, like, it, they are saying, oh, um, we hate a bunch of people for something they can't control. Oh, but you hating that bunch of people for makes being you spiteful, just, horrible people is makes you just the as exact bad as them. same. It's almost like you don't actually believe anything you're saying. You just want me to stop talking about it. And John Boyega... Uh, I repeat, known legend, yep. responded to this man, Gimli, shh. <laughs> and then David Maris didn't see that this is a fight he's not going to win and responds. So you're trying to insult me based on my appearance. That sounds familiar. Oh yeah, that's what racists do. You see, Lucas, John Boyega is just as bad as the racist. Because he he, said he basically this... is a racist, Carl. He is, yeah. He's saying a guy looks like Gimli. Um, in response to this guy... A black man who has personally experienced a horrendous, almost um, unbelievable amount of racism for daring to play a black guy in a movie. Did you even hear they took him off the fucking poster in China? That does not surprise me. Yeah, he's not on the poster in China for reasons. Yeah. And imagine being that, like you're just living your life and you find out from the company, yeah, we can't put your face on the poster. It's like, but I'm the main, one of the main characters. Why? Chinese audiences don't like black guys. It's like, yeah, cool, great, thanks. I'm glad that you're supporting that company who paid my wages. This makes me feel great. The worst anyway. part is, Carl, like, that is the one demographic everyone will bow down to because there's how many people in China? That China money. Yeah. And John Boyega responded, again, known legend. Um, we'll meet you by Mordor with the rest of the Mandem. See you soon, bro. We'll get that ring. Bye. Because <laughs> John Boyega does not give a fuck. No. But... Can you imagine saying something like, I really hate racists, and then someone's immediate... Like, imagine being the kind of person who wakes up on a morning, sees that, 
and thinks, man, that's really harsh to the racists. <laughs> I'm thinking, I've got to put my cape on and I've got to go out there and I've got to protect the rights, the feelings of these people who want to violently suppress poor, other races. Poor racists, Carl. It's they so, can't feel, fend for themselves. They can't fend for themselves. There's nothing they could do. And yeah, and the reason I love John Boyega is because he has been dealing with so much shit on the internet, like from people who hate Star Wars or hate him in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And did you ever see that video he made for Instagram? No. I want to find it, Lucas, and I want to. And I want you to watch it and tell me what it is. So. Okay. 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 So yeah, like John Boyega received a lot of hate when at the start of like the marketing cycle for Force Awakens. Um. It, he was kind of hinted at being the main character and immediately people came out of the fucking woodwork to just be like, oh, a black person shouldn't be the main character in a Star Wars film, it's not right. Yeah, even though if you go back to the prequels, they established that um, all Stormtroopers originally were cloned from a guy who I'm pretty sure he's not white. Uh, no, that actor's not, definitely not white. I'm not quite sure... Um, where the actor is from. I'm going to do a little bit of research myself, Carl. Um, so it's the guy who plays uh, Django Fett, isn't it? Uh, yes. Django Fett actor. Let's have a little look. Uh, Tamira Morrison looks like his name. Uh, that's it, yeah. Um, well, he's like the person they say that all Stormtroopers are cloned from him. Mm-hmm. He's a New Zealand actor. There we go. So it'd be of Maori descent, I'm assuming. Yes. I would presume so. There we go. So I'm going to send you this. This is a, a video John Boyega posted to Instagram um, uh, in response to all the hate he's getting off of Star Wars fans. And I want you to watch it and just tell me what you see. Because he's fucking brilliant. And this is why I think he's a legend. Just let me know your thoughts, Lucas. <laughs> And tell me when you get to the bit, that's my favourite bit. So what you see, Lucas, paint us a picture with your Okay, words. so uh, it's basically clips of John Boyega styling as fuck. And it's just all of the different hate tweets that he's getting. And mm -hmm. him basically dancing and styling. Over the tweets. <laughs> he's dancing on the... He's literally styling on his haters. Like, literally. It was just a bunch of different tweets of like... Yeah, uh, oh, do you still have a crush on Daisy Ridley? Like, oh, uh, Raylo is the best. Star Wars romance, blah, blah, blah. And then John Boyega basically just styling all over it. Like, I don't give a flying fuck My what you think. And the then absolute... at the end, okay. it just stops. And the same, like, you know, comment that's just on the top from John Boyega. Glad I got that out of my system. The absolute best one, though, is where it's him on a micro scooter. In a full yeah. suit, and he just like does a fucking burnout on the tweets. <laughs> it's so fucking oh. good. Like, that guy is an absolute ledge on Twitter. He's like he's got all he does is annihilate people <laughs> who try and shit talk him. And the best one is, uh, so I think someone tweeted him. It's like, oh, this is you in Star Wars, D uh, Ray, 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 and he just retweeted him. Put this is me after Star Wars. Paid, 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 paid. <laughs> <laughs> it's just. <laughs> I'm so happy that he doesn't care. Oh. He just doesn't give a fuck. He's like, I'm rich. Yeah. I'm rich as fuck. I'm a multi, multi millionaire. And I'm going to, at the very least, get another couple of big movie roles out of this. 
I can just retire right now if I want. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Oh, man, he's just such a charming bloke. I love him. But just that thing of paid, 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 yeah. paid. Yeah. The thing is, I remember watching um, a movie you've probably seen, um, Attack the Block. Yeah, that movie's great. When, um, when he's in it and he speaks with his North London accent. Yeah, he does. And that, that the fact was, I was like, oh, I'm probably not going to like this film because it's a bunch of like, annoying teenagers. And I don't really like any young or child actors in things normally. They tend not to be great. And he was so fucking charming in that film. He's great. He's one of those movies where you can see it and go, this guy's going to do something special. Exactly, yeah. He's one of those actors that you look at and go, this is a fucking good actor. You, can, you just tell yeah. on sight. It's like, have you ever watched the film Hannah? No, I don't believe so. I think that's... I don't know how to pronounce the name. It's really obvious. Swai Ronan. So the Irish actress. I think that's, maybe that's how you pronounce it. But I, I, it's one of those really awkwardly spelled names. But she's in that. And you watch it and go, yeah, she's going to be in movies till she's like 50. <laughs> yeah. You just uh, see it's like, this is... She's so talented. So, the film Hannah from 2011. Is that what I believe you're about? Uh, yes, I believe it is. Yes, yeah, um, Saoirse Ronan. Is that how you pronounce that? I always said Saoirse Ronan. So it's uh, Ronan. Yes. That's one of the first big movies she was in. And it's like super awesome. Like you can just see her, she's going to be a massive actress one day and then fast forward a couple of years and she's just getting fucking all the awards. Like damn right. <laughs> Same with John Boyega. Yeah. That movie literally just sold me on him immediately. And as I said, I normally just get very frustrated by young actors. They knocked out just- the park. Do you see as well that like he wanted to do um, be a stormtrooper with that accent? Oh, really? Yeah, he, he has to affect um, a generic American accent, and he, and he originally auditioned with his London accent, <laughs> and they weren't happy about it. And there's a great story from John oh. Boyega where he was on a date. Where he was on a Tinder date in New York, and he was talking oh, right, yeah. to the girl, and he said it's the worst date he ever had because he tried to pull a power move and it just went horribly, horribly wrong. But she kept asking, him, "I'm an actor." And he told like at the end of the evening, I'm an actor, as mm-hmm. they were going to get into the cab. And she went, well, what are you in? And he just, he, he went, I'm in that. And she turned around, it's his face in Times, you know, the middle of Times Square on a giant poster for Force Awakens. And she just looked at it and thought he was weird and left. It's like, oh no, John Boyega! I think that may be the first time that has ever managed to fail. Yeah, she just thought he was weird. She couldn't handle it. So she just left. But like, what a fucking power move is that? So, oh, I'm actually an actor. What are you in? That. And it's just his <laughs> face, just like 40 <laughs> foot tall. I don't think that. He's really great. I love him. He's, like just, uh, all his interviews are great. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, um, I'm really glad that there's a lot of just really solid uh, black British actors out there showing the world what's up. Is it, I think it's Daniel Kalua. I forget how you pronounce his name as well, but he's uh, the guy in Get Out. Oh, um, okay, I, yes. I first saw him in an episode of Black Mirror. That Black again, Mirror episode, was, yeah. It's when you look at it and go, this guy's going to do something special. And then he's talking about that. I was did a few TV gigs and then he mm-hmm. was in Get Out. And he says, yeah, I went from just being a, an up-and-coming actor in London and then a year later, I'm hanging out with Oprah. <laughs> and, he's descri- and he used the word to describe Oprah that I fucking love. But he says, I, it was like being in Black Heaven because I'm there, there's Oprah, there's Denzel Washington, there's Jamie Foxx. And I went up and I hugged Oprah, and Oprah is, and I quote, a premium woman. <laughs> and it's just the word premium is like, fucking you go, like, I'm glad that you're doing good. I'm glad you're out there representing the UK. Uh, apparently his name is pronounced Daniel Kalua. Oh, so I did get it right, Daniel Kalua. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. I'm glad that I did. I, I'm very bad with pronunciations of names. I apologise. It's, it's, not... it's one of those of, like, I always think, 
oh, if someone pronounced my name wrong, I'm not arsed. That's a very petty thing to get annoyed by. But when we're trying to talk about, like, giving people credit for being badass, I want to, like, make sure I get it right. Not to mention as well, it's um, the thing of like, respect other people, and I'm just mispronouncing his name all left, right, and centre. <laughs> yeah. Because it's Shuare Ronan. Uh, she's Irish, is she? Saoirse, yeah. That's it. Oh, so, God, I got it wrong again. Yeah, again. Again, Carol. So, oh, no, I'm so, I'm so bad, I apologise. But I, I, I love um, Daniel Kaluuya. He's a great actor, and I, I want to see him do great things. But, like... That reminds me of what are the actors that you've seen then, the younger ones, or you saw him go to a big thing? I think the ones, is it Nicholas Holt? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's one that I, I always thought he was a good actor, but I was surprised that he went on to do things as big as he did. Yeah, fair enough. Because he was originally in... Skin. What was it now? Not Skins, before that, he's the little kid in um, Love Actually. About a boy. And he's in About a Boy as well. Wait, what else but is he in? He's in Love Actually. Oh, yeah, he's the, yeah. He's the kid yeah. that Hugh Grant sings with. Mm-hmm. And he's in that, and he plays an awkward kid with a shit haircut. Yeah. So he basically plays me as a kid. <laughs> and then you fast forward to Skins, and he's like the lead man, and he's the sex symbol for the series, and all the girls want him. Mm-hmm. So like, that guy over a fucking glow-up. Yeah, yeah. He goes to be the, the nervous, awkward kid who everyone at school picks on, to a couple of years later, his TV role is, you are the, the hottest, coolest kid in school. <laughs> so like, fucking, you go, Nick Hart. And then he's in Mad Max. What uh, the one I was going to say, uh, oh god, you try to find the name. Uh, I found the name, but it's like another Irish or no Welsh right. name. Is it the guy who plays Ramsey Bolton? Yes, it is, Carl. Yeah, I knew because I'm thinking, what's the only, what's the only other good British actor from that era of television? It's the guy of Misfits. Yeah, and he was the like awkward guy in Misfits that. What like he was the one that like went invisible because he never wanted to be seen. Yeah, and again, the reason I knew that is because I watched a couple episodes of that show, and he was by far the standout of anyone on the cast. Yeah, like to me, even watching it when I was younger, he was by far and away the standout. He steals then, every scene he's in. Yeah, and then again, he's Ramsay Bolton in Game of Thrones, and once again stealing every fucking scene he's in. He's a really fucking good actor. Yeah. So, have you found his name? Do you have a go pronouncing it for us? Uh, I, uh, <laughs> this, I think, how, oh man, I even tried to pronounce the ones that I did. Let's give it a go. I want to say it's like Ewan Rion or Owen Rion. I'm it's not Owen. quite sure. Uh, Owen. Is it spelled E-I-O something? No. Okay, I think it's pronounced Owen, if it's the... Um, no, the it's I-W-A-N. Oh, okay, I don't know then. Uh, so I'm trying to look it up. Okay, fair enough. You, you want to get it right, you want to pay, pay proper respect to Ramsey Bolton. Yeah, it's... But while, while you're doing that then... Ewan, okay, there we go, so Ewan or Owen. Ewan... Ewan... Rion? Ewan Rion. Ewan Rion, what a name. And uh, sometimes, like, um, when I work at, you know, good old Nando's, uh, it's currently not really operating because of the whole coronavirus thing mm-hmm. we get um a lot of people either give the names at the door or like give the names um for like takeaway orders yeah and sometimes i just click on like especially gaelic names and i'm like oh, oh no. god yeah it's like uh now i have to read back their name to them to make sure it's the right person and I just look at it like uh-oh doesn't that happen a lot to your girlfriend as well because she has uh, an awfully yeah. spelled name yeah, she has, like, an Irish surname, and just 
it gets to the point now where hey, we're having phone conversations like booking things or whatever <laughs> and it's just like oh um you know you just hear her straight away go oh yeah this is my last name and obviously i'm not gonna say it here but this is my last name and immediately start phonetically spelling it out because she just knows she just knows someone, at this point someone out there's like um how do you spell that madam yeah it's just like i'm not even gonna fuck about with it anymore i'm just gonna spell it out straight away so I know that you're gonna do it. So let's just uh, let's just not even pretend. Cause I'm I'm not in the mood today. I just want to get <laughs> shit done. But I love that like, you said that. I went, it's the guy who plays Ramsey Bolton in it. Because it's just so like when you're talking about yeah, young British actors that prove they were very good at a younger age. It's like what uh, some of the people that just come to mind, and he's up there, like immediate. Because yeah, the reason that I thought this is when you said it's spelled strangely. And it's Welsh. It's because I thought it might be um, pronounced Owen. Similar because there's uh, someone I followed on Twitter recently. Mm-hmm. And are you aware or are you familiar with the gentleman Owen Wynne Evans? Uh, what was the name? Um, Owen Wynne Evans. He went viral a couple of weeks ago and I kind of like fell in love with him. Uh, I'm not um, familiar with him. Well, that's because his name is spelled O-W-A-I-N, and he's also the weather forecaster for Wales. Ah, uh, yeah, I've Wales. just Googled him and seen the face and just been like, yeah, I've seen him going I know this guy. So if anyone's wondering, why am I talking about this guy? And it's because he reminded me of that, that awkward spelling, the Welsh spelling of um, Owen or Ewan. Mm-hmm. And it's because this guy went viral a couple of weeks ago because he was reporting on the weather during the pandemic, so yes. he couldn't go to the studio. And at the end of his weather forecast, went, oh no, the theme song's got to play. And he ran, he runs off camera and goes into his front room where there's a drum kit set up yeah. and plays the drum solo for the yeah. end of the thing. And he's fucking amazing at playing the drums. He is, yeah. But it's completely out of nowhere because he's this really flamboyant, openly gay guy mm-hmm. with like a big quaffy haircut and he wears like flamboyant, colourful shirts and he's like a local state. People love him in Wales. He's like the weatherman. Yeah. Because he's just so happy. He's like, I don't know, he just plays the fucking drums like a sick badass. Yeah. I want to follow this guy because he's an absolute legend. But what he does is he does this thing where every day he says, oh, hello, darlings, and here's your weather report gif. And he just gives you, shows you a gif of what the weather's going to be like. What and do it's you just mean by a gif? Like... It's like a five-second gif of just what the weather's going to be. And it's him in front of his green screen. Just uh, putting so on. So, like, if it's going to be sunny, it'll just be a gif of the sun or something. Is that what we mean? No, it's it's you know the weather report where they're in front of the green screen pointing to the country. Oh right, yeah. But it's just like a five second gif of that with all the the suns and the clouds and stuff put everywhere. Okay. So you know yeah. what it is. And I thought, what a neat idea! What a good way to get the weather. Just this really charming, happy man just saying, "Here's what the weather's going to be like for today." And every now and again, he just plays a sick drum solo. <laughs> he also has the exact same green screen that I do. Oh, really? Yeah, he's got the same green screen, which means that he must be one of those people who, when this pandemic started, Googled green screen and bought the first one, because that's what we did when we got ours. <laughs> and he's just a really nice man. And I'm glad that we've got this uh, this lovely ray of sunshine Yeah. during this pandemic. Because every other day, I'll just see him pop up on my feed, and it's just either him playing the drums or him being like, hello, darlings, here's the weather report for today. Thank you, Owen. Thank he you very like much. He's a really charming guy. He is. And he also calls like all his followers darlings, which reminds me of my old boss. Because um, my old boss was a flamboyantly gay man who called us all darling, and it really it made me feel special. Because <laughs> when he'd call me up and say, oh, Carl, darling, can you work a shift today? It's like, oh, anything for you, James. So, anything uh, for you. I, do, I do know as well, like, 
on the on the topic of conversation like with name mm-hmm. so like a lot of american people listen to this uh, podcast oh yeah and you might not be aware of like, how many different ways there are to like, spell a lot of like gaelic names but just two more examples of how to spell owen yes uh, there is e o i n which is what I tried to spell earlier because I couldn't remember exactly how it went in. But yeah, that's one that always catches a lot of people out. Yep. That's also spelled Owen. Another one, which is E-O-G-H-A-N. <laughs> that's just taking the piss. Which, again, I would never look at that and immediately just go, yeah, Owen. Well, I, for many years, couldn't pronounce Siobhan because I never saw Siobhan wrote down. A lot of people see it written down and go, like, Siobhan? Siobhan, it has a B in it. A yeah. B. There's a B in Siobhan. Where's the B come in? Siobhan. There's no B. There is, though. And it gets me every time. Yeah, and um, there's Neve as well, which you would think is spelled maybe like N-double-E-V or N-double-E-V-E no, or something. Like and it's like N-I-A-M-H. Oh, okay. It's like, what? Okay, then you got, okay. Then you've just got in, in what English name? John. Jack. But then, you know... Just go and Google people. Like, you can do this one yourself just to see. Just Google, like, the spelling of the longest town name in Wales. Oh, it's great. And I will never, ever try to, like, even attempt to pronounce it. But just, you know, for listeners back home, just go look how crazy that town name is. Yeah, people can pronounce it as well. And it's a point of national pride that everyone in Wales knows how to pronounce that word. Yeah. Uh, so I, I know someone from Wales, and they said that they, they don't know how to pronounce it, but they went to school... Uh, after the fact trying to learn some more Welsh because they got cussed out by an old lady for not knowing enough Welsh. Oh, God. And they were really upset, so they went to school to try and learn Welsh. It is um, a matter of Welsh pride knowing the language. It is as well, and there's, um, there's a great story because they're so committed to Welsh as that the, it's the country's second I think it's the primary language, in fact. Uh, uh, I on... think it actually depends on where you are in Wales. I think it's quite a controversial thing of, like, a lot of people think that they're basically trying to kill off the language. So, yeah, that's the thing. So there's a, it's a huge point of national pride that everything is written in Welsh as well as English. And, and there's a famous story about a guy who got away with a speeding ticket. And he was a, a, a Polish guy mm-hmm. who spoke Polish. And he got away with a speeding ticket because the police officer didn't give him a speeding ticket that was in Welsh when he requested it. Oh, God. Because he requested it in Welsh and the police officer didn't have one because no one ever asked for them. Oh, no. And because they couldn't provide him with one in Welsh, they quashed the speeding ticket. Yeah. And also that guy shouldn't have been speeding in the first place. But no, I think of that, course not. But it demonstrates the fact, no, if you can't provide it in Welsh, no, fuck you, you have to. Mm-hmm. You are the police. You're supposed to give people Welsh speeding tickets. And yeah. I know as I'm saying this somewhere in America, it's like, man, that sounds so quaint as our police fire tear gas rounds at the press. Yep. And the thing is, like, before I anger any Welsh people, I completely, like, agree that, yeah, you should not want your own language to die. It is, yeah. I I understand, like, the UK speaks English, but the fact that people are, like, being brought up without learning the country's national language Mm -hmm. is, like, quite disgraceful. And I think it's, like, quashing their own culture. Yeah, so and that's why it's one of the things where all the street signs and all um, uh, official um, communications from the government. I think they even have a special channel for the BBC that is done entirely in Welsh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they have like weather reports and news reports and stuff in um, Welsh. 
Yeah, because I it's think really BBC cool. Wales is spoken in Welsh, I believe. Uh, sometimes, yeah. It's, um, it's one of those neat little things where it's, but, it's a quirk of the UK. Yeah, and I will say, you know, fuck the English, that is what we do. We destroy cultures. Oh, we do. But um, speaking of which, um, there's a story I told on Twitter, and I, I want to share it here because okay. um, I think it sets a lot of things in pers- it puts a lot of things in perspective in regards to America. And how familiar, Lucas, are you with the founding of America? Because we don't really get to, we get taught a lot. Like history lessons they vary in school for the UK based children because there's a lot of British history. Uh, yes. Whereas I think in America it's a lot more streamlined because their history is about 200, 300 years. And it starts, there's a very definite point where it starts. Uh, Whereas yeah, in exactly. British history, the founding of America is basically a footnote compared to all the other stuff that ha- that's happened. So, just, so we've got a baseline. How much do you know about the founding of America? Um, not overly much because I think a lot of school, I just say like it's taught a different amount. But to me, I was like never taught about it in school. I think the British kind of perceive it as something... I just say, because our history is very long, there's a lot to pick from anyway. But, mm-hmm. like, I guess in, like, you know, British history is something we want to not really talk about. It's also probably not that important. I think the Romans probably had a bigger impact on the UK than Britain and, like, the Vikings, which is usually what the learning is. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, the most was, part. that was more what we learned about, like, Romans, Vikings, Saxons, and so the most that I've really like know about the founding of America is like through osmosis of American media, which is has a very definite slant the way they're portrayed. So let's address that right now. And my knowledge is based on what I learned in school and then while researching articles and on a trip I made, a very eye-opening trip I made to Philadelphia, where they have the Museum of the American Revolutionary War. Okay. which is a museum that is a, a one-stop shop for here's everything about the revolution. Mm-hmm. Here's how it started, how it, and like the various things, and just here's a lot of information about it you might not learn. I learned a lot of things on that trip, and I went with a friend of mine from America, and they learned a lot of things as well, because even though all of their history classes talk about it, the very first thing we learned in that museum is something they'd never been told at school. Oh, wow. And, and that is, so do you know why... The American Revolutionary kicked off. Like the, the war kicked off, and I should know this is going to be a a simplistic recounting of the facts. Uh, but yeah. it's, to my um, best knowledge, it is going to is accurate. And but, to um, make the conversation even probably less accurate and more simple, I don't know. Okay, so I don't know is a correct is like you know it's a valid answer, and the. Most accepted answer is that um, Britain was taxing America, and that's where the phrase taxation without representation comes from, because Americans, or colonists as they were at the time, were very annoyed that Britain was charging Americans a tax and without giving them a say in how the country was run. Okay. And that seems fair, doesn't it? Yeah. And I believe every American child is taught that. Is taught that. Taxation, uh, Britain were charging an unfair tax to Americans, and they didn't want to pay it. And that's when the Boston Tea Party happened, where they threw British tea into the river. Mm-hmm. And there's a famous story about that, where they wanted to send a message to the East India Trading Company, I believe it was, who were in control of it, uh, because they only wanted to destroy their property. So what they did is they broke into the boat where the tea was stored, broke a lock, and then left a note apologising, and then paid for the lock. 
<laughs> because the lock belonged to the guy who had the owned the boat yeah, or something like that. Yeah, they didn't and, want to cause him a problem. But uh, take it a step back, the reason that those American colonies were paying taxes is to have the British army, the most powerful standing army in the world, um, guard their borders from Native American tribes and the French. Oh. So what they were doing is they were paying a tax, which I believe was the equivalent of like a penny per person. Mm-hmm. Um, to have the most powerful army in the world protect them from getting fucked over by the second most powerful army in the world and the Native Americans, who you might expect from the name Native Americans, were pretty pissed off. Uh, Yeah, once again, you know, Britain taking over other people's land and destroying their culture. Yeah, and... That is something when it we, we, because they have this on the walls. Like, oh, here's where the tax was done. It was paid to keep the British standing army, and like, amongst other things. But the, one of the main components was keeping this army standing in America to protect America. Mm-hmm. And my friend, they never told us that. Well, yeah, of course it doesn't, because it makes us. It doesn't make Britain sound bad. Yeah, you're basically saying, oh, we don't want to pay for protection. But if the British army wasn't here, the like the colonies would be fucked <laughs> over because they'd have had nobody there anyway. Yeah. So the American, like, the war kicks off. Shit gets real almost immediately. Um, fast forward a couple, of, uh, fast forward a couple of uh, hours on our trip through this museum. We come to a section, and I'll always remember the title of this section because it, again, very eye-opening. It simply said, "Freedom wears a red coat," and this was an entire section dedicated to African Americans who fought in the American Revolutionary War. And Lucas, from that title, do you want to guess who African Americans largely fought for during that war? Oh. Freedom I... wears a red coat. Britons wear red coats. Yeah, I was going to say, was it the Britons that wore the red coats? Yes. Oh. So, African-American slaves um, um, fled in droves and joined the British Army because um, the British Army promised them British citizenship and their freedom if they fought for them. Meanwhile, oh, right. George Washington himself, the founder of America, specifically issued a decree stating that black people couldn't fight in the war. Something that only changed when they were on the verge of losing it. Again, this is something my friend wasn't taught, because again, it makes Britain look good that every... like, obviously there was a a lot of uh, issues, shall we say, going on at the time, but like, um, surely you would imagine, you know, George Washington would turn around and go, no, you can fight and you will get freedom because then they would be fighting for him? Nope. That, um, there's a, a official decree from George Washington specifically barring, um, and I hate using this word, but it's what he said, Negroes from fighting in the war. And of course, that means all they're going to do is fight against you. Yeah, and they have an entire section of the museum dedicated to the fact that, yeah, every single slave the British came across as they were going across America immediately left their master and joined the British. Yeah, because at the time, them. the British saw slavery as abhorrent and immoral and promised every African American who fought for them British citizenship and a place like in the country and their freedom. And I distinctly recall this because as we were looking at this, and I was saying out loud to my friend, like, did you know this? Because I didn't know it. Cause we're not really taught at school. She didn't. She definitely didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I heard someone say, "I shit you not." That's so un-American. Wow. Because they were fighting against the founding of America. But if they'd have stayed and fought for America, because this, like, they even show you there are 
African-Americans who fought for America helped found it in the war. And then after the war, their masters sent out letters saying, I want my slave back. And they got put back into slavery after helping found America. And it would be another 200 years or whatever before fucking slavery was outlawed. And there's even a section on that where they talk about, uh, they have a narrator say like the country was founded on the ideals of truth, justice, liberty for all. And it would take hundreds of years for black people and women to be given the same rights as the men who fought for it all those years ago and said that it's the most important founding tenet of this entire country. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself because the next section was one about Native Americans. And do you want to just take a guess? I I believe there was 13, 14 Native American tribes in America at that time. Mm -hmm. Do you want to guess how many of those joined with America and how many joined with um, Britain? Oof. Uh, I'm spoil going it. It to all, say the majority. It was I all of them except one. Side with Britain. Yeah, it was all of them except one. And Joe, you know why? Do you want to guess what Britain promised them if they if Britain won? Like land or freedom or yeah, British their land back. Do you want to know what America promised them? Fuck all. Yeah, nothing. And as evidenced by all of American history, they really did deliver on that offer of fuck all. So. So far, we've got all the slaves and all the Native Americans. And at this point, my friend was getting a bit depressed. Yeah. Because you basically, every exhibit is just nobody wanted America to win. The only people fi- the only people fighting for America were rich white men who didn't want to pay their taxes, which really sounds a lot like today. It does sound like America. Sending people to die in a war to protect the rich guys from having to pay their taxes. Anyway. Now, Paul, that sounds American. <laughs> that sounds America as fuck. And we get to a set, and our guide who was showing us around the museum, my friend was like, so who actually fought with America? To which the guide responded, and I will never forget the look of disappointment my friends when they said this, the French. And do you oh. want to know why the French fought against the UK? And it wasn't because they believed in America, Lucas. Do you want to guess based on all of the history between Britain and France, why they decided to side against England? Were they like Britain? already in a war with England or something? No, they just didn't want us to win. Yeah. It, it was a right. fuck you. It was a fuck you to King George. Yeah. That was it. It's all it was. So the like, America... Yeah, England and France have a very troubled history. So America's pretty much their only ally in the Revolutionary War was an ally who joined them, not because they believed in what they were fighting for, but because they didn't like UK. And the way I summed it up is America was literally founded out of spite. Because the reason that Americans won the war isn't because they managed to beat the British. It's because King George got into a war with France, I think. And he decided that fighting for America wasn't worth it. Yeah. And just withdrew all his troops and let them keep it. It's basically, fuck you, deal with it yourself if you want it. And now the thing is, a lot of that has painted America in a bad light. Yeah, which is why no one gets taught it over there. Exactly. But I will will sit here and say, uh, also... The English and the British were also fucking horrible people. And oh, they were, yeah. Had a we big were. part in, like, the slave trade. They just, you know, when people refer to the British Empire as being a great thing, it's like, no, we took over a quarter of the fucking world and imposed ourselves upon other people. Yeah, and that's awful, but... Yeah, we but we do learn about that in school. I don't think a lot of Americans learn that, yeah, your country was founded out of spite and your only ally was yeah. someone who didn't even believe what you were fighting for. And America didn't win. It's just the other team gave up because they couldn't be asked fighting anymore because they mm-hmm. had a bigger war to fight with an enemy they actually gave a shit about. 
And when you put it like that, you can just think, oh man. You, and I bet there are, um, if you told Americans out there that, some Americans, they wouldn't believe it. Yeah. They wouldn't believe it because that's not the version of their country they have in their head. And that's what was happening as we were walking around this museum. So many people were looking, so I never knew this. Including my friend who prided herself on being quite well educated. Mm-hmm. And just stuff like, yeah, all the slaves immediately, just, they ran away and joined Britain. Why? Because Britain didn't have slaves and thought, promised them freedom. Oh, no Native Americans wanted to fight. Oh, God. Yeah, the French joined you. Why? Because they didn't like England. Oh, no. Yeah, it's like it's not good, but at the same time, just like, I will say, you know, it's the classic thing of uh, history is written by the victors. It is, yeah. And uh, we were taught about, like, the British Empire, but it was very much framed as, like, looking back at the great British Empire... And it's only when I got older and went, no, no, you just did what everyone, like, you know, for example, uh, when we talk about other people, it's, they were trying to take over the world. It's like, they're the bad guys. It's like, well, we did it. Yeah. Surely we were the bad guys then. We were such bad guys. We were so evil. And UK, I, I really so hate, evil. as you can probably tell, I hate, like, the history of Britain and of England because... Again, we get taught that we are such like heroic, upstanding parts of the world. Because like, we no, beat, uh, we just we... fucking killed everyone and took the countries. Yeah, it's like no, it's, it's more modern history where um, you get that right fan wankery coming in. Yeah, people like even I think I saw a, a great way of summing it up where everyone who voted for Brexit thinks they fought in World War Two. <laughs> like everyone who did, they they act like they fought in World War Two. It's like you didn't. Yeah. No, no, no one did. Basically, <laughs> at this point, there's only a few left. Yeah, it's not the thing. Well, it's, I just thought something like that's the way, and I think it's similar with America as well. Where you, I got that. I, that's a, a stereotype about Americans that it sounds like. It's one of the things that I thought it was made up mm. of Americans saying we saved you in World War Two. Do you think they can't be that poorly educated? Because one in the UK, World War Two is one of the biggest things we get talked. It's one of the pivotal points in human history. Yeah, I got taught uh, about World War One like quite a bit, but we spent so much time on World War Two. Yeah, and the thing you get taught is it was a collective effort from the Allies, and mm-hmm. that Russia did most of the heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah. Because they just threw man after. I think it's every one man the Germans lost, the Russians lost twenty. Fucking hell! Like Russia won the war because they just they sent men in after, and it's America joined quite late, mm-hmm. and they obviously lent a freshly renewed. Um, like fighting force, yeah, of course, and yeah. their tanks as well. But Russia did most of the heavy lifting, mm-hmm. and I thought that was fairly universally known. But when I get to, when I went to America, I legitimately had a guy in a bar tell me we saved you in World War Two. Wow. Like, oh, you you really believe that? You you really believe that America saved the world in World War Two, and it wasn't a collective effort. America did it all. Cool, thanks. But again, that is um, similar to kind of the English thing of like, yeah, well, we saved you in World War One. Mm-hmm. But I don't it's think like, many people no, talk about like, World War One as much, do they? Both, both, just kind of, you know, wars were a, co- I just say, a collective effort. It's not as if like, oh, one person saved it. No. Oh God. There is this, uh, the America-centric view of the world, and I think nothing more, nothing represents that more literally than have you ever seen American maps. What do you mean? Uh, American maps of the world in some atlases have America in the middle. And what they do is, because they've got America in the middle, it cuts China in half. Really? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll find one for you now, in case you don't believe me. 
Because it I've, sounds like so, well, you think you think maps would be universal, wouldn't you? That was a universal way a map is laid out. And it's that like literally now. is like, as far as I'm aware, a pretty universal just world map. Now, in some American textbooks, they put America right in the middle, and it cuts other countries in half. I mean, of course it does. Yeah, the thing that go. always got me is um, if you look at a world map, countries are not actually the right size. No, they. Re I think Britain's a lot smaller than it actually is in scale to the rest of the world, but if, it's, if it was in scale, you wouldn't be able to see it. Yeah, yeah because the there's... scale of it is all thrown off. Holy I've shit, sent... Yeah, they put America right in the middle. What? And it cuts Asia in half. Yeah, like... I'd never seen that. You can't really see where Russia and China like begin and end. But you compare that to a, a, a map people, more people will be familiar with, where every country is on it. Yeah, because like... And um, it's Africa in the middle. It's the border of like... Alaska is on like the very left mm -hmm. between Russia and Alaska. Yeah. That's and on the very left. From... And then it, it leaves like everything intact. Because there's only a couple hundred miles between America or yeah, America and Russia, realistically, if you go from Alaska to Siberia. Yeah. Which you can see on the map. But yeah, Americans, or some American maps, cut um, Russia and China in half to put America right in the middle. It's like, obviously, it's also just the way the world is built. But isn't it just so, like, I guess, like, beautifully ironic that... I'm not even sure ironic is the right word, but like the fact that the two countries they cut in half with that map are fucking Russia and China. Yeah, I don't think it's that. I think it's just America sees itself as the centre of the world and this oh, is no, a more, literal example. More, yeah. <laughs> just, just how beautiful like the imagery is that when they put themselves in the middle of the world, the two countries they happen to cut in half yeah. are China and Russia. And the two countries that are flanking them. But, yeah. Because I like the way a normal map looks. Because it one, every single country is on it and it looks clean. Because that map, you can see it looks, it looks so fucking ugly, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it does, yeah. It looks like a mistake. It looks like wallpaper that you're supposed mm. to like just line up and keep going across a wall. But the reason, I, one of the reasons I like the way a map looks is it puts Africa in the middle. And Africa is seen as the spiritual home of humanity. Because it's where humans first evolved. And um, it's, it's the centre of the world, of isn't like... it? The cradle of life, as it were. Um... It's meant to be the, as well, like, a lot of the kind of different continents that we see now were all... They were obviously at one point all one big landmass, but kind of Africa was, as you say, seen as, like... Central to it, yeah. Central of it. Uh, Pangea, the uh, super Pangea, yes, yeah. That's the one. But I just thought that was a, an interesting thing. If people can look this up if they don't believe, just type in America map, American map, and you'll see that America's just in the middle, and they cut other countries in half. And it's just one of those things that... It's so petty that you can only believe it. Like it sounds so petty that it sounds made up. If I told you, like you said, you even said that when I mentioned it. Even that's made up. That's not real. Yeah. Because, and then you remember. Oh no, this is America. But at the and same I'm, time, it's um, I guess the same kind of thinking of no, there's no way the sun doesn't revolve around us. Mm -hmm. And it's such small thinking of like no, we are the center of the fucking universe. We're the centre of the world, man. Look, you can see it. it's on the map right there, Lucas. <laughs> that man, small dick energy, man, on display by whoever made that map. Yeah. And as well, it's even funnier because it's globally, the other version is globally accepted. It is, they yeah. They put that fucking thing in. Every, every form of like media I've ever seen have a map in it 
has the exact same map in it. Yeah, with the exception of the UN one, uh, the UN logo, which has uh, the, topo- uh, the topographical view, which um, goes above uh, one of the poles. Ah, okay. And Joe, that's as well one of the, the things Flat Earth has pointed to has been proved that Flat Earth is real. Because oh, the UN, the United Nations, they use the, the map uh, that shows the ice wall and that in the middle. Oh, sorry, uh, the ice in the middle and around the edge. And they claim that it was a mistake and that they didn't know. So one of the things that Flat Earthers genuinely believe is that, oh yeah, there's this massive global conspiracy, but they made a fucking mistake when they were making the logo. <laughs> so it's, it's a global cabal that has been in existence for hundreds of years and they, it spans the world and has unfettered access to um, technology that doesn't even, purportedly doesn't exist yet. Well, they made a mistake when they were making their own fucking logo. I I can never comprehend, like, flat earthers, but Jesus Christ. I mean, the best one to me is the fact that we've, we've sent people into space and they've taken pictures and videos of the round, like, planets in the no, solar NASA system, including our own. Because... And it's like, no, nah, it's all fake. No, nah, man, NASA um, uh, doctors all those photos. Yep. It's the, all best, fake. the best part about that is sailors and pirates, illiterate, poorly educated pirates knew that the earth was round. And do you know how? They looked at the horizon when ships were leaving and noticed that the mast disappeared last. Yeah. Which would indicate that they're going down. Mm-hmm. And they saw that with their eyes <laughs> and they figured that out without any technology. They just looked and went, well, it's got to be round. Because otherwise they'd just keep going in a straight line that disappears, obviously... Um, your vision just was unable to pass what you're seeing and how they're so far away that it's impossible to see them. Literally people that were so poorly educated, not dumb, just poorly educated enough that a lot of them couldn't even read and they figured that out. Yeah. Just just, using fucking common sense. Yeah, it's it's just a natural thing that comes to you from observing the world that's around you. Mm -hmm. And there's never been a point in human history, even when we believe in the heliocentric model, I think heliocentric is the sun revolves, like the... What's the okay. other one? What's the word? Before we believed in the heliocentric, which is sun at the centre of the universe. When we thought the Earth was the centre of the universe, people still knew the Earth was round. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, there's never been a point in human history where people actually believe that. Like, either, it's even thought that uneducated cavemen would have come to the same natural conclusion yeah. <laughs> if they would have sailed just from, look, just from standing atop a tall hill and looking at the horizon. That thing is, like, um, I've been on a ferry over to France multiple times, and you literally watch it happen. Yeah, like you, you see watch the... yourself go around a sphere. Now, it's, it's, well, that is that's NASA flying a tiny drone into your eyes. It's a uh, Truman showing me. It is, yeah. Oh man, I love that. It's great when you point stuff like that out. It's uh, like the one of oh, the uh, you can prove that the Earth's rotating with a piece of string and a rock. Yeah. Um, and if you're wondering how, you get a very long piece of string, tie a rock to it, and pull it back, and then let it swing. as a pendulum-type motion, and you'll notice if you draw a line on the floor, mm-hmm. um, after a while, that it will be spinning, or it will be going backwards and forwards, and it won't be in line with the line because the Earth is rotating below it. Yeah, like the, the centre of gravity will have changed, basically. Mm-hmm. And you can prove that with a fucking rock and a stick, <laughs> like a rock. And that experiment was actually really genius because um, 
the guy who did it, I forget the, the name of the scientist who first did it, but um, uh, the way that he got his pendulum to swing perfectly smoothly was he held it up, like he put it all the way back, and I think it was like a really long, like 200-foot piece of rope right to the top of a church tower. Okay. Inside a building with no wind, wind or anything like that. Um, he hung up his pendulum, hung it for an entire week, so there was absolutely no vibrations in the string, and then he burned the rope that was holding, like the string that was holding it in place with a candle. Right. So his hands wouldn't um, move the rope when he went to cut it. Oh, okay. And then observed it that way. And you can just see it. You can see it. Oh, oh God, no, I accidentally hit the microphone. No! Sight ah! NASA trying to get in there. <laughs> NASA's controlling me with their secret drones. Oh, Carl's punching his technology now. No, no, technology's everywhere. It's great. I love it. But no, that's how he did it. And he that's, proved it with a, a yeah. fucking weight at the end of a piece of string. A fucking really simple, clever way to, to show something. Well, that's how a lot of major things are solved. It's um, I f- again, I forget, but it's an um, episode of one of those crappy TV shows on Discovery Channel mm-hmm. of giant ancient aliens, those type of shows. Yeah, yeah. Where they bring some skeptics on who say that um, the aliens must have built the pyramids because the the sand in Egypt is too soft to move rocks on. Mm-hmm. So how do you move these giant slabs of stone across soft sand? How do you build something on soft sand? And I'll remember, and I remember because it's so fucking funny. Because what happened is, like they're, they're in a sand pit, and like they're showing you like putting stuff on sand, and they're trying to build with blocks on the sand, and they mm-hmm. can't figure like see look, you can't build anything. It requires technology not available to people back then. And a guy comes up with a bucket of water, pours it on the sand, and puts a, a block in it. <laughs> and that's all he does. Just pours a bucket of water on it, and goes duh, and it doesn't move. <laughs> it's wow. I, I wonder if ancient people would have figured that one out. A bucket of fucking water. Oh, And that's all it is. It's literally just, you put water on it and sand when it gets water on it, you put weight down, compacts and becomes a stable surface to build upon if you then reinforce it with other things. Man. And the fact that, like, they would have figured that out when it rained one day. Easy enough, yeah. Yeah. But it's just the image and you've got these people and you can tell that it's that thing where they know it's a, in their head it's a gotcha question that's going to, like, get this expert that's come in. See, in the show, we're literally in a sandpit playing with blocks while talking to a PhD guy. A guy with a, a, guy with a PhD, oh. and he walks up with a bucket of water and pours it in the sand. <laughs> and it's like, you've spent probably years on the internet arguing about this and using it as proof, and I've disproved it in four seconds. Yeah, with water. With water. Like one of the most readily available resources on our entire planet. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And that's uh, the way I've heard it summed up is um, a lot of conspiracy theories. It's just people are not smart enough to believe how someone could do it. Or they're not smart enough to figure out how something can be done. So assume that nobody else is. <laughs> and that's all it is. It's like, oh yeah. no. If you like um, the moon landing, I can't possibly see how it could be done. Well, it's a good job you weren't in charge of NASA <laughs> yeah. and people smarter than you were. But I, oh, I fucking love yeah. that one though. Just, just the guy who was pours the fucking water on the sand, <laughs> and you just see the people there who their, their entire life is based on this. Like their their livelihood is based on like selling this lie to idiots, and it's been disproven in front of their eyes by a guy with a bucket. I was like, Shh. it's um funnily enough, like something that comes to mind is: Did you ever watch the TV show that Darren Brown did of basically debunking, um? All of like the people. What what's the name of them? mediums? The mediums, yeah. Mediums and um, uh, uh, people of that nature, yes. And just like the psychics and stuff like that, and 
going up to them and just being like, oh, I know what you're doing. They're just like, uh, okay, shit. And it's just like, oh, here's the really simple tricks that they use. Yeah, um, those are amazing because um, one of my favourite stories about a medium getting people... I know I always say my favourite because there's a lot of things I remember about very fondly. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I think it was Derek Akura, maybe, a famous medium in the he UK. He was the one that did like the... like um, Ghost hunting. The what? Ghost hunting. It was, uh, ghost hunting, yeah. In, it was like, a ghost the hunting show. Like, houses and stuff. Uh, in the UK, and he was famous for um, like channeling the spirits of people. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways, this is not the one I was going to talk about, but one of the ways they found out he was full of shit was before uh, local pranksters found out that TV show was coming to their local area and just went on Wikipedia and just wrote on the Wikipedia page for the local castle or whatever haunted place he was going to that there was it was purportedly haunted by the ghost of insert the name of one of their friends who was still alive and in town. <laughs> Put that on Wikipedia, waited a month or so later that episode airs and he talks about that ghost. Proving that he just went onto Wikipedia. Yeah. Because he always says, I have no information about what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And during the show, you see all the little fact back at the bottom of our research showed that there was indeed um, stories of a person with this name who died here in the 20th fucking century or whatever. <laughs> and when they revealed that, Derek Accord's response was, well, I must have been channeling another ghost of the same name. <laughs> and then there's another famous story when he was at a, a gig um, in a town hall. And it's a comedian I heard this from because I was watching a comedian myself. And uh, he's, I think it was Lee Mack, maybe. Okay. Where he talks about the fact that, yeah, the person who was on stage before me the night before was Derek Cora. And one of the things that... No, no, it's Dara O'Brien. Oh, right, okay, yeah. And he said what happened was um, there was just a guy in the audience who was taking the piss. And he was going, so has anyone out there got a family or friend who's died? And people stick their hand up. And he goes, yes. He goes, who is it, who is it um, you'd like me to contact? Oh, it's my uncle. So is he dead? No. And that made the audience laugh, and it obviously encouraged the rest of the audience to say the same thing. So the next person he asks, who would you like me to contact? Oh, my mother. How did they die? Oh, they're not dead. They're at home. That's what I know how they're doing. And this continues for like five agonising minutes, so he gets someone, and he says like, oh, who would you like to contact? My father. So how did he die? Heart attack. When? A couple of years ago. Okay, I'm getting, I'm getting in contact with him now. And he, he makes all this bullshit up, and the guy goes, excuse me, like Derek, let me just stop you there. I just remembered my dad's right here. <laughs> and he sat next to his dad and he's like oh, oh so no. so good oh that's so fucking good that's so strong and he just left the stage early and refused to come back on <laughs> it's just that thing of like oh I have to die oh no just at home watching TV oh no how they're doing now <laughs> that requires an audience to be in perfect sync and it's yeah, a magical that does. moment but god yeah like, all those mediums, psychics, they're all thieves, they're all hucksters, and uh, I believe there's an article on the website about it, it's, um, was it now, Harry Houdini, he famously, famously detested uh, mediums and spiritualists, and saw them as people, they were preying on the vulnerable, and he made it his life's mission to ruin all of their careers, and the story goes that he was very despondent after his mother passed away, mm-hmm. and he went to a medium after being told it might help. And he went and the medium supposedly contacted his mother. And when Houdini asked for a message from his mother, um, the uh, the medium gave him a message in English and called him Harry. 
when his mother didn't speak English and she oh. didn't call him Harry. And when he called the medium on this, they just like made something up and quickly ended the session and left. Oh. So he, he made it his life's mission to debunk mediums and spiritualists by going to their um, shows and stuff in costume like Darren Brown does. Mm-hmm. And debunking them live on stage by showing the tricks that they were doing. Yeah, yeah. Live. And obviously it's Harry fucking Houdini, famous <laughs> magician. If he says it's a trick, it's definitely a trick. Yeah. And the reason I like this story is because Harry Houdini was good friends with Arthur Conan Doyle, famous for writing Sherlock Holmes novels, less famous perhaps for being a firm believer in the occult and the powers of mediums and spiritualists. I did not know that. And Arthur Conan Doyle and Harry Houdini reportedly fell out because Arthur Conan Doyle accused Houdini of using his own magic powers to suppress the powers of other mediums, to debunk them, to hide the fact that he himself had magic powers. Yeah, it's like, I, 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 you know, I don't know much about Houdini, but I know he was very much, like, similar to Darren Brown, of coming out there and going, I do not have powers, like, I am, like, an escape artist, I use tricks... Uh, that, yeah, it's a, it's a, a code of honour that a lot of magicians have. Um, Penn and Teller have the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, where there's a, a great quote from Penn, obviously not Teller, because he's silent in most of his acts, but um, where Penn explains that um, any magician who does... Like, any trick you ever see us do, as dangerous as it looks, is perfectly safe. Mm-hmm. And any magician who actively risks their like, well-being or their lives is not a magician. They're a stuntman and they're, they're a shame to the magical community. And they're similar where they always say, what we're doing is a trick. And we're not yeah, going to tell you how we did it, like but the, it's a uh, trick. They did the famous bullet catch, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And they explain that some people did used to use actual bullets and that they risked their lives. Those people are idiots. Yeah. And um, Harry Houdini was the same way where he insisted, no, it's, it's, I'm a magician. It's an illusion. Mm-hmm. And apparently he had to stop being friends and stop talking to Arthur Conan Doyle because he would not stop insisting that Harry Houdini was a wizard. Oh, man. And it really annoyed him. He was like, look, I'm not a fucking wizard. Stop saying that I'm a wizard. And Arthur Conan Doyle was like, well, that's what a wizard would say. He's like, no, I'm trying to debunk spiritualists. He goes, you know, we try to debunk them so that people don't question your power. Also, I think you might be using your powers to suppress their own. <laughs> so when Arthur Conan Doyle took Houdini to spiritualists, he went, well, you can trust this one because I know them personally. And Houdini's like, all right then. And when he called him out on it, Conan Doyle would accuse him of using his own powers to suppress the powers of the other people. Oh, <laughs> and he had to stop being friends with him because he just wouldn't stop. It's such a silly thing that like, yeah, I guess magician is not the right word that they should be using because they're implying they have magical powers, but like, that's the gimmick of the show. Yeah, illusionist. Yeah, is probably a better one. it's probably a better word, but like, yeah, the fact that he's like, well, you're a magician, so you must have magic powers too. It's like, no, I'm a fucking escape artist that uses like tricks and illusions. It's like, I'm just really good at my job. And I like the idea that even hundreds of years ago, people had to deal with that thing of their friend just becoming a crazy conspiracy theorist and just very slowly <laughs> stop talking to them. So have you had that happen yet? Have you have you had like that in your life where just one of your friends just goes off the deep end and just really buys into a conspiracy theory and they just become impossible to talk to? Um, no, not okay. really. But I did have a funny moment. You know, like most or not most, but a large portion of people right now are doing like family quizzes, mm-hmm. and this is going somewhere. So, like, um, 
I was in a quiz and I, I was I was doing the quiz. I was asking the questions, and I basically was like, right, okay, easy question. Uh, who was the first man on the moon? And then my sister oh, was no. like, talking to her boyfriend, and he was like, oh, nobody, because no one's oh, ever landed on the moon. For fuck's sake. I was like, no. Just throw the entire man out. Like, like, Buzz Aldrin has punched out so many people over this. Yeah. Like, um, and I, I, it's even boring to entertain, because I've written an entire arc, but we've even talked about it in a previous podcast, mm-hmm. where I talked about the guy who came up with the theory... And that he just made everything up. Yeah. Uh, he literally just made shit up. And when he was disproven, just made more shit up. Yeah. And that's it. But it's, it's You just see it and you, it just... Oh, God. Cause I had one where b- before I got rid of Facebook, which I recommend everybody does because fucking hell. And it was just a guy who was super fucking into conspiracies that I kind of knew in school. And he was always just sharing stuff about, what is it now, like 9-11 being an inside job. Oh, no. And the moon landing being fake and all of them. And I went, this person must be a fucking nightmare to talk to. Yeah. I can't even imagine trying to have a conversation with this person now. And it just makes me so depressed. And that segues nicely into um, perhaps the best headline of this week. I'm not sure if you saw it, Luke, but... um, there was a thing that happened on Twitter, to bring it back okay. to America and American politics, where Donald Trump tweeted out something um, a bit um, inflammatory, to a put bit. it diplomatically. Yeah, and Twitter, uh, what they did is they hid his tweet. And they put no, it on no, notice. No, they didn't. Did they not? Well, I remember this story incorrectly. Unless I'm talking about a different tweet, I believe um, what... I'm not sure what tweet you're talking about, but there was a tweet recently that I saw where it was... Twitter put out a post going, uh, we are not hiding this tweet because we think it's beneficial for people to basically see how stupid he's being. Oh, yeah. There's, there's go two. and check this online because it's fake news. Like, it's fake. Yeah. This is a, it's a two-sided story. The first one, uh, the one I'm talking about happened later, and it was Donald Trump tweeted out something inflammatory, oh. and it was deemed to be violent or inciting violence, so they hid it. But then they put that same disclaimer up saying that, and we'll leave it up because I feel it's important that people know why we've done this. Also, it's a tweet from the president, mm-hmm. so it's for historical record. And then yes. the earlier one that happened was he put out something that was patently false, and Twitter fact-checked it and just put, again, um, we're going to leave it up, but we need people to know that this is bullshit. Here is a link to a source that disproves it. And Donald Trump lost his fucking mind. Yeah, the he, one he I was saw was incensed. the mail-in votes one, which yes. is, I believe, the first one you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other one was he threatened to like shoot protesters. The one we lose right at the very start of his podcast. Uh, uh, yeah, about five thousand years they ago. They tweeted out on the White House page, didn't they, when it got taken down? Uh, something like that. But the important thing here is that Twitter fact checked the president, and Donald Trump lost his fucking mind. Yeah, uh, he um, was threatening to sue Twitter. He was threatening to use the full force of the government to um, bring them to order, even though it is entirely within their First Amendment rights as a private company to dictate what is isn't isn't allowed on their platform. Yeah. Including the President of the United States. Mm-hmm. And in response to this, for absolutely no reason at all, Mark Zuckerberg decided to tell people that it is not social media's job to fact check things. And that if Donald Trump said something similar on their platform, he would not fact check it because that's not Facebook's job. Carl, uh, I believe you've got it wrong. So okay. Mark Zuckerberg, it was well-known child molester, Mark Zuckerberg. So here's, what, so here's the joke. So what people did 
is many news sites around the world saw this and a couple of satirical ones who obviously don't want to get who don't mind mm-hmm. um, if they get sued because parody is covered and protected yep. by um, the US Constitution. And the headline that I saw was. Facebook is under no obligation to fact-check headlines, says known child molester Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. <laughs> Which was shared on Facebook. It was and the other one, all over Facebook. And the other one that I saw was Mark Zuckerberg, dead at 36, tells people it's not Facebook's job to fact-check headlines. <laughs> and it just says that he died of coronavirus and he enjoys sniffing <laughs> piss. It's just, I saw that headline on fucking Twitter and lost my shit. That's perfect. Yeah, perfect. That's amazing. I wish I still had Facebook so I could share this. <laughs> because it's just, it's so perfect. Just like, Without even really needing to say anything, it just sums it up perfectly. It sums up the absurdity of the story. It is not Facebook's job to fact check headlines that says no one child molester Max Zuckerberg. <laughs> it's just, and the it's thing so- is, it's like such a double-edged sword that Facebook can't take it down because then they're going against the words of Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, they're going against the founder of the company saying, I think it's not our job. It's not our job to curate this content, even though there's been multiple studies that show they absolutely 100% do that. Oh, 100%. The same thing with the same thing like YouTube, where they say we don't promote um, hatred and racism. And there's multiple people showing if you go onto YouTube with a completely fresh account with no cookies and just watch almost any video on their site, the algorithm will at some point direct you onto some alt-right shithead telling you like why black people shouldn't be in movies. Oh, fucking hell. It's, it hap- it's almost 100% guaranteed unless you actively curate your own feed and recommended thing. Yeah, like so going until like, you actively like subscribe and make YouTube give you like um, personalised recommendations, that's yeah, like the you, first thing it'll start throwing at you kind of thing. But a completely passive user who's just what, even the most innocuous content um, will at some point, even, and some of them it's like a couple of videos. Showing that big story a couple of years ago where it was someone's like, yeah, um, my kid was watching something to do with like some school thing. Or something that's like, oh, it's a, an educational resource. And within three videos was on like alt-right Nazi pages. Like what, what? Jesus. Yeah, it happens. And I was just be- about to say the one where it was um, the like YouTube kids video. Oh, the, the Spider-Man Elsa weird ones. No, no, I there was one that basically shit up everybody. Oh, is that the one where it was a kids video, but in the middle of it, it says like really racist things? Uh, I think it was like telling kids to kill themselves. Yeah, and all that. It had loads of hidden messages in it. That's all made. And it was basically long, long enough that... Um, a parent will watch like, the first five minutes. Watch the first like, five minutes, know that it's fine, and leave the room. And then the like the shit starts going real. Yeah, that's um, that's also something that happened, and and that yeah. basically made like um, a lot of people push for no, you can't do this via an algorithm. Like, if you're gonna make a curated section for children, this needs to be like personally fucking reviewed. And that's the thing is, I'm on YouTube. And I watch a very specific set of videos. And we talked about it just before this um, podcast started. Mm-hmm. Well, I just saw, and I, I refer to them as the risky clicks. Yes. Where it's a thumbnail that looks interesting, but you don't want to click it just in case 
it happens. And when I say it happens, I mean the <laughs> thumping dubstep intro, <laughs> followed by a guy going, hey guys, and welcome to my video. And a 30, 40 second spiel from them, plugging bullshit you don't care about mm-hmm. until, they get, and, until they get to the content you want. And I think that's an experience every single person has had. And, and you I said you, you, well actually, you experienced I'm, the opposite, didn't you? Yeah. So I was tell me, say, this is I great. Think, um, sorry. No, I was going to say the opposite. You had the opposite happen, and I was like, wow, I've never actually heard of anyone experiencing the opposite of the risk click. Yeah, because I was saying like I had a problem with a male Gato capture, and then I clicked, like, I Googled the problem, and mm-hmm. I literally found a YouTube video that was more minute long that said, I have a problem. Here's how you fix it. I hate long videos. Bye. And that was it. It was the holy grail of YouTube videos. It is, it's, it's, it's exactly what you want. It is the solution to your problem. And it's simple, and it's simple. It's clear, it's concise, and it's to the point, and it doesn't overstay its welcome. Yep. And I believe the exact opposite of this um, is um, recipes online. And Luke, have you ever tried to look for a recipe online and experienced this? Cause I, this is one of those things I thought was made up. Carl, and, the and one example I'll give you... Right, I know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I looked up because I got... Um, like Weirdly enough, I got like a, a little like knock-off like, slush puppy maker where you can like crush your own ice. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, let's like, use some crushed ice in a cocktail and stuff. Got some nice rums in and was like, how do you make a pina colada? And it took me like maybe five plus minutes of scrolling through just a bullshit story of my first pina colada to get to the fucking recipe of what four ingredients I need in the drink. And that's something I'd always heard about, but I'd never experienced. I never really look at recipes. Because yeah. the only time I ever look for recipes, it's usually BBC Good Food, which I highly recommend as a Every resource. Time. As a BBC resource. Good Food, just do it. Because it is user-submitted and rated recipes with some of the ones submitted by professional chefs mm-hmm. of just basic foods. Like That's how I learn. Like, okay, I know how to boil an egg, but how do I spice up boiling an egg? And it says weird to spice, but is there anything else I can do? And it's like, okay, so here's how you soft boil an egg. And it's like just a guide on, okay, so I've now soft boiled an egg. What can I make with a soft boiled egg? Mm-hmm. And it's just simple recipes like that. Of, yeah. Okay, how do I make a pasta sauce? Anything basic. So I never experienced this problem of going to look for a recipe and you get 500 words of some arsehole's life story before you get to it. It's so bad. It's so and, bad. And every website does it. And it's the written equivalent of just that awful YouTube um, trope of, here's a video. Okay, I want to know... Um, I don't know, say, an example for me would be, as a fighting game, Mortal Kombat, um, patch notes for new Mortal Kombat. Yep. Let's go have a look, here's a video, patch notes, and it just comes up, thumping techno. And the guy coming up, hey guys, before we get into the patch notes today, I'd like to say thank you to my sponsor this, and it's like, oh god, just tell me where it is. The thing is, Carl, is click on the um, the YouTube video, skip Pause the, the YouTube start, video, and then scroll click down minutes into the video to avoid yeah. the bullshit. Scroll down and look for the hero who posts video actually starts here. Yeah, yeah. Look for that one. You can't do that on those things, but I'd never experienced that before because I, I always just use BBC Good Food, which is just here's the recipe, here's how you make it. Yep. Here's um, some testimonials from people who've made it, or here's like other user submitted recipes that are variations of it. Mm hmm. Like, say you're making just a pasta sauce. Like, here's a pasta sauce that uses different ingredients. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, BBC Good Food. So I learned to boil an egg. 
So it even tells you how to like to um, open the egg when you boiled it. Shows you the proper technique. And, oh, this is really nice. This is a really useful resource. I'm I really confused about your life if you needed to find out how to boil an egg. Well, it's when I first went to university. Okay. <laughs> when I first started university, I didn't know how to cook. Fair enough, yeah, yeah. Like, I'd a never lot, had to cook for myself. Like that, but I, I don't know when I learned how to boil an egg, but it was a lot earlier than you. It's because I lived, grew up on a council estate, so we never had fresh food in. We only ever ate tin food. Oh, okay, yeah. So I, I basically only ever had tin food my entire childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't know how to make a lot of fresh food. And I, and I still don't, because it's not. I don't really like it that much. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I actively teach them how to do it. So I didn't know how to boil an egg. I didn't know how to egg but I know now, and I learned because of BBC Good Food. I know, this isn't sponsored by BBC Good Food, but you know. I wish it was. That website's yeah, really wanted. fucking useful. <laughs> um, so it's just but... random things that it showed me how to make. Like, I had a bunch of um, apples in my cupboard. I bought some cooking apples to try and make an apple pie, mm-hmm. but I couldn't find a pie tin. I uh... went to every shop in town looking for a pie tin and couldn't find one. Yeah. Every, I, I went to fucking everywhere. So I just want a pie tin. And I went, I've got all these apples now, but I ain't got a pie tin. I don't know how fucking what I'm gonna do with apples. And I went, oh, BBC Good Food. I made apple sauce. Made myself some homemade apple sauce. Yeah. Made like two jars of it, and then I would put it in my morning porridge before I went to the gym. Oh nice. And it was really, really nice, and I was really proud of myself because I made apple sauce. And all it is is you just put apples in a pan with butter and sugar, and it melts. It's like yeah. But I felt really Thank proud. That's my apple sauce. That was my apple sauce. And when you taste it and you go, this is really nice, and then you look at the ingredients on, like, store-bought applesauce and go, why is there, like, 45 extra ingredients in this thing? Oh, God, yeah. How can this be cheaper than just making, putting apples with sugar? I'm always confused by stuff like like that. That's how they get you, because obviously it's mass-produced. For them, it's just cheap as fucking chips. Yeah, sugar bomb does a lot. It's cheaper than chips, technically. Uh, But, yeah, like, making it yourself is nearly always more expensive than just going out and buying it that's always confused me that apart from like takeaway meals but what with that apple sauce thing where Mm -hmm. i made the apple sauce and it was like three ingredients and i looked and i remember i went next time i went to a shop it's like 45 ingredients on the back i went how do they make this so complicated it's just fucking apples and sugar yeah but then you've got all the preservatives in it yeah i guess but it's sugar sugar doesn't go off but apples do, I guess. Like it's I don't know. really weird. Like for example, the one um, me and my girlfriend always find weird. Like um, when we go, right? Well, we buy a freshly baked loaf at ASDA. Like when we go, and it <clears> goes <throat> stale within a couple of days. But we buy like a loaf that's been, you know, like packaged and manufactured and all this, and like that lasts a week and a half. It's like, <clears> what <throat> are they putting in this bread? I think bread's usually alright as long as you get brown bread and wholemeal bread because they fortify it. Yeah, uh, but more it? my question is, what do they use in like the packaged bread to make Mate, it last five times longer than like Mate, the fresh if, loaf? If you want to feel bad, so I'm going to send you a link right now, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. And I want you to tell me what it is you see and describe to the audience what you see. Carl trying to like shit up my life. No, no, it's just. What you? What are you trying to break in my conscious right now? No, like if you're speaking of that, so I'm just going to send you a picture. I want you to describe it to the audience at home. Uh, it's a very, very sad looking McDonald's. It is, yeah. It's a very um, sad looking McDonald's. It's a cheeseburger and fries. It is cheeseburger and fries, but to me, there's something 
I feel like is off with the picture because the packaging on the fries looks very old and weathered. Yeah, uh, do you want to just hazard a guess at how old those um, uh, uh, cheeseburger and fries are? Like a month. Keep going. A year? Keep going. No. Keep going. No. Keep going. Two years? Keep going. Five. Keep going. What? Like ten years old? That's a ten-year-old McDonald's cheeseburger and fries. But there's no mould on it. No, there's not. Because there's so many preservatives in them. And that's um, an exhibit at... I'm just going to double-check the facts here. There's no mould? Yeah. What? Uh, yeah, so... No, it's not an ex- It's an exhibit in a hostel in Iceland. And what it is, it's the last cheeseburger sold in Iceland. I'm so confused. Like... I don't know, like, if it's easy to Google this. Okay, like, sure. So, what, Lucas, you always have a lot of questions, so collate them while I just give the backstory to this. So, um, when McDonald's closed all its restaurant in Iceland in 2009, one man decided to buy his last hamburger and fries. Um, and he says here, this is from one hot shirt, Smarmanson, and he told um, AFP that I heard McDonald's never decomposes, so I wanted to see if it was true. So, um, this is uh, 10 years ago when this was in 2019, so it's 2008, so it's uh, 11 years old now. Um, This week it's 10 years old and they seem seemingly indestructible. And they barely, like it says here, they barely look a day older than when I bought them. And for the curious, you can watch a live stream of the burgers. (laughs) And I'm clicking that link now to have a look. Um, Hopefully it'll load up, it's just buffering now. But there's a live stream of the cheeseburger and fries, and they're in a hostel in Iceland. I apologise for the, the clicks that people probably heard, but I had to go, like, maximum zoom on this small photo. Oh, just to see. Just to see, it's... and I still can't see any mould on the chips or the burger. Yeah, the only thing that's off about the photo that kind of gives away what's going on is the fact that the packaging... So the usual um, red and yellow packaging on the fries has started to fade away, and that's from sun damage. So let's let's clarify that when you buy a McDonald's, the packaging will sunburn faster than the chips will get moldy. Yeah. The packaging will decompose faster than the um, fries and burger will, and the bread. Ah. Uh- and here's the thing as well, because they've done similar experiments, though not to this degree, right, in more, let's say, clinical settings. And they've just put, like, cheeseburgers in glass compartments and stuff like that for a month and a year, and people have eaten them. And that is how much, that is how many preservatives and stuff are just jammed into um, McDonald's. And people will probably don't know, you can go look it up right now. It's the Snostra House, which is a hostel in Iceland. And you can watch a live stream of them. I don't know what to say. Like, you've broken yeah. me a little bit. Yeah. And when you show people that picture, it's like, oh, so okay. And you could hear it in your voice of, no. So keep going. <laughs> Ten-year-old McDonald's right? And you could probably still I... eat them. They'd be fine. Because, like I said, um, scientists have done experiments on similar cases, but obviously not as old. But they've said after a year, the level of bacteria build up it basically stagnates to the point where there's no more so they're fine and it reminds me a lot of um, something similar with genes and do you want to hazard a guess at how often you are asked or 
advised to wash a pair of denim jeans. Now let's go for like how often you are per year. Okay. And how this often is advice. Who advises? Um, let's like Levi's gives this advice. Like the head of Levi's um, at the moment has given this advice, but it's advice generally given by all manufacturers of jeans. Okay. Um, I'm I'm gonna lowball it because I think that's where you go, but like ten times. No, you got you can keep going lower. Just once. Nope, keep going lower. Zero. Um, Levi's, the or the CEO at least, um, advises people to never wash a pair of jeans, uh, which sounds like folk wisdom, doesn't it? The folk wisdom is that jeans never actually get dirty, which doesn't sound right, does it? Because of course they get dirty. Um, there was an exper- again another experiment done because I wrote an article about like old things that are fine still after a long amount of time. But uh, the my title jeans was- literally get dirty, Carl. The title was probably different when I wrote it, but I don't remember it offhand. But I do remember some of the items from it. One of which was McDo- this McDonald's cheeseburger. The other one was which was any pair of jeans because scientists uh, have done experiments with college students where they were asked to wear a pair of jeans every single day for a year, and after two weeks, the level of bacteria buildup never increases beyond a, a certain threshold. So unless they actually get a stain or get dirt on them the level of bacteria buildup never gets up to an unsafe level and indeed stays at the same level after a two-week period, meaning that you theoretically never have to wash a pair of jeans, regardless of how much they're worn or how often they're worn. Well, okay, um, but that's theory, Cole. They're still going to smell. No. And they might do, obviously, with uh, back, uh, if you sweat in them a lot, but uh, they will never actually get dirty enough to require a clean, and there are... Multiple cases out there of people doing this, including the current CEO of Levi Strauss, who his favourite pair of jeans hasn't been washed in 10 years. Does he go outside? Yeah, he wears them all the time. He's, I'm he's so the head confused. Of, he's the head of Levi's, mate. Do you not think he wears his jeans all the time? No, yeah, like, I, I totally get that. But what I mean is, like, I go for a walk in the park and I notice, oh, there's, like... You know, maybe a bit of like dust on my jeans or something like that. You can still brush them and stuff if you want to. I but, guess um, so. But and the difference that should be drawn is a high-quality pair of jeans made of good-quality denim. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So like some jeans, maybe like um, ones with like the stretch fabric and stuff in there, different. But uh, a proper pair of denim jeans, if taken care of and if just worn for day-to-day use, and you're not like rolling around in the park or anything like that, realistically, never need to be washed ever. That's weird. That's and crazy. it sounds made up. It's almost as, it sounds almost as made up as me showing you that picture of burning this McDonald's cheeseburger is 10 years old. And it looks like one that he left in the fridge overnight. Like maybe so I've this seen... podcast just needs to be like named Carl Breaks Luke's Brain. <laughs> Do you know what though? I have seen like takeaways that look worse than that when I get them. Yep. Like, I have opened up takeaway boxes that I just bought and they look worse than that McDonald's fries. Like, Carl, you and B both know that we've shared a very, like, very large amount of, like, dirty takeaways together. Yeah, and they, they don't even look half as good as that cheeseburger does. They don't. They look worse than that McDonald's the moment you open the box. But there's a pro tip for people. If you've got a decent pair of jeans, um, never wash them. And the reason that you're wondering why don't you wash them is because washing jeans makes them stiff. And there's the no way is, um, to, act- to wash denim and keep it soft. The only way to soften denim is to wear it. And that's why denim is such a popular material because the longer you wear it, 
the softer and suppler it becomes. And that's why a really nice, old, good-fitting pair of jeans feels so much better than a brand new pair. Same with, um, for example, I've got a pair of Doc Martens and they just get more comfortable over time. Yeah, and I'm guessing you should never really wash your Doc Martens. Uh, no, I will, like, wipe them down and then shine them, but I will never, ever, like, wash them or anything like that. Yeah, and you can ha- and Doc Martens can last 10, 15, 20 years. In some cases, there are people who've bought Doc Martens when the company first started and they're still wearing them. <laughs> and there's a lot of items like that, some like leather jackets, another one, cast yeah. iron pans. Because um, I remember when I didn't like even ask, I was just in, like intrigued by Doc Martens, and mm-hmm. basically my mum and dad like got me them as a Christmas gift, maybe about say about five years ago, maybe. Okay. And they were like, "These are an expensive present, but we got them for you because we'll know, like we know they'll probably last longer than we do." It's pretty. It's That's dire, like, yeah. but it's true. It is. And- We've got one here. Um, are you familiar with cast iron pans at all? And why like, these are, like, if you want to be a big dick in the kitchen, you've got to get yourself a cast iron pan. Carl, you've asked me this question, and I watch a lot of, like, you know, um, random videos online of just, like, how to cook this and blah, blah, blah. Oh, I man. am so envious of people that have cast iron pans. And then I Googled how much they cost and was like, oh, maybe later. Yeah. Uh, so they are prohibitively yeah. expensive, but one of the reasons why is they will outlive you if they're proper taken care of, mm-hmm. and they will re- they can reliably be expected to last for over 150 years. And there are indeed people out there who own cast iron pans that were owned by their grand or great grandparents mm-hmm. and still work just as good as you bought one brand new. Yeah, I know. For example, not um, quite a pan. But um, my mum has a Le Creuset pot. Oh, don't they last fucking ages as well? Yeah, uh, I, I believe she's had it like 25 years or so. And okay. it's just like, yeah, this thing's still great. It's like my favourite thing to cook in still like 25 years later. Because it still fucking works. Same with like Pyrex. Oh, like, God, Py- yeah. Pyrex can last forever, except... If you buy it in America, because Pyrex, uh, the company name was bought out and replaced with a worse brand. Wait, what? Uh, yeah. Um, in the UK, um, you can do it. I'm just going to double check. Uh, so Pyrex. in the UK, like obviously you are fact checking this now, but yeah, in the, UK, in the UK, Pyrex is still Pyrex, but it's not in America? No. So it is. Uh, we have it here. So I'm on the Wikipedia page for Pyrex. So Wikipedia okay, Weekends yeah. comes back. So uh, Pyrex trademarked as Pyrex on all caps. Is a brand introduced by Corning Inc. in 1915 for a line of clear, low thermal expansion, borosilicate glass used for laboratory glassware and kitchenware. So that kind of scares me. So, that but it's used for laboratory work or cooking. But here's the word that you need to remember: borosilicate glass. Okay, it's the same stuff used as laboratory glassware. So, for example, let's Joe want Bunsen burners when you've got to put um, things on top of there. Like, yeah, when you're using beakers on top of them and stuff. And you don't want the beaker to explode because it might have something in there that could get into your eyes and kill you. Yeah, it could, like, be full of acid. Yeah, so medical-grade glass is made of this shit and it is almost completely heatproof and one, a benefit of it is that it can go from being flash-frozen to red-hot without cracking or exploding. Something that doesn't happen with other forms of glass, which is why Pyrex is so expensive and why it's used for this purpose. Because you can take a dish out of the freezer and put it into the oven and not worry about it. 
I didn't know that's how strong it was. Yeah, it's basically indestructible um, from a cooking standpoint. And because there's taken... actually not that many substances like man-made or you know on Earth that can withstand going from like frozen temperatures to burning hot. Yeah, um, even like um, pans and stuff will be damaged if you do that. Yeah, um, this glass isn't, and that's why one of the reasons it's used. And something I had a couple of years ago that I was really annoyed that I lost. Well, when I found out that this is the kind, of, this is why it's so good is. Um, when I was working at a restaurant, we had a uh, event with the science department of the university in, mm-hmm. and they left behind a load of medical manufact, a load of medical equipment and loads of um, scientific equipment, including some um, medical grade test tubes and beakers and things of that nature. Okay. And I kept them in my house just as quirky things to drink out of, and it wasn't until years after that I realised they were probably worth a fucking fortune because they're made of this very special glass that is completely heatproof and cannot be damaged by heat. I also never realised that's why we used to do shots out of test tubes at yours. Yeah, because I got them. They were official, like, proper medical grade ones. I never realised that. Yeah, so here we go. Corning no longer manufactures on markets glass kitchenware or bakeware. So so the company renames and continues to manufacture Pyrex for their tempered soda lime glass line of kitchenware. So that's what they do. So they replaced the borosilicate glass, which is medical grade and is virtually indestructible from a temperature standpoint, mm-hmm. to much cheaper soda line glass. But what they didn't tell anybody is that they did this, but they kept the price the same and the name, because the name is synonymous with quality. Yeah. And um, they don't do this in the UK, though. Stuff made in the UK is still made from this the borosilicate glass, which is much better. Um, and as a result, there is a thriving secondary cottage market for old Pyrex dishes that people go and find at things like yard sales and in pawn shops. Because if you can find it, Pyrex glass made from before a certain point, you can sell it to people who bake, like semi-professionally or professionally, because this shit is like, it's like rocking or shit. Yeah. Or hen's teeth, you can't get it for love nor money. Mm -hmm. Because obviously everyone who has it, knows how good it is and how long it lasts and that it is the is the standard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so if you... like that's the thing is, as you say, the name uh, like the brand is so synonymous with quality. Like and it's just oh yeah, everybody will fucking buy this shit. Yeah, so we have it here. So the differences between Pyrex branded glass products always led to controversy regarding safety issues. So in 2008 the Consumer Product Safety Commission wrote that they had 66 complaints by users reporting that their Pyrex glassware had shattered over the prior 10 years, um, and, but concluded that Pyrex glassware bakeware does not present a safety concern. The Consumer Affairs magazine Consumer Reports investigated uh, the issue and released test results in January 2011, confirming that borosilicate glass bakeware was less susceptible to thermal shock breakage than tempered soda lime bakeware. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's like I said the, the, if put, just putting it in the oven can sometimes cause it to shatter yeah. which you don't really expect from Pyrex shit because the whole point is that you're supposed to put it in the oven <laughs> but soda lime because it's cheaper and not as strong can randomly out of nowhere explode and there are numerous reports like I said 66 reports of people being injured by it have tried, have tried to get it out of the oven with some oven gloves on and it just shatters in their hands. You know, that and just thing sends, it was fucking designed for. Yeah, and just sending searing hot glass shards all over their body and face. Oh. Uh, so however, they admitted their testing conditions were not contrary to instructions provided. Although they were contrary to instructions provided by the manufacturer. So they went out of their way 
to test it in conditions that weren't realistic, but did test it to the extreme. Right, okay. And uh, the quote here that you want to know is that the change to soda line represents a greater net uh, safety benefit. Wait, did you just say it has like a safety benefit? Yeah, I think that's wrong because obviously it's the other way around. Yeah. Well, it's the other way around. That's one of those things where... um, Obviously, this is um, Wikipedia. The real, the hidden story is that a company bought the name, made it cheaper, but then banked on the quality. And now there is this, there's this, um, like I said, secondary market that has emerged mm-hmm. as a result of people realizing, oh man, this Pyrex is shit now. You need to buy old Pyrex. Well, it's just capitalism, isn't it? That's like mm. a perfect example of it. So if there's anyone out there... Um, who has an old Pyrex dish, you might better get a couple of quid for it. But, in America, honestly, I would recommend if you cook in any way, shape or form, just keeping it because they're great. They are, yeah. They're used. Same as a cast iron pan. It's just one of those things. I have one from my mum mm-hmm. and I've had it since I moved. Um, every other piece of cutlery I've owned, like all my pots, my pans have been replaced multiple times. Yeah, yeah. Um, that dish has lasted. Same with I've got an old frying pan that my dad bought in the 80s. Oh, right, when, he, okay. when he very first moved into the house that I grew up in, when I went to university, he said, you can take some stuff out of the cupboard. And I took that because it was the frying pan that he'd make our um, breakfast in. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. On a Sunday, he'd always make us bacon and eggs and fry everything in it. So I still fry everything in that pan because it's a proper Teflon pan from back in the day. Can't and it still works. Means. Yep, still works to this day. Can confirm. And, and recently, like, um, Teflon stuff costs an absolute bomb now because it's the only stuff that's actually can be guaranteed. Not to just have all the shit scrape off at the moment you try and run a spatula over it. <laughs> I think we can end on that. I found that article I was talking about that I wrote many years ago, which is simply titled 10 Household Products That Are Almost Indestructible. So I believe that I was trying to write a sequel to it when I was uh, researching the one about um, McDonald's. Oh, right, okay. So it was going to be a sequel to this one of 10 things that will last forever or outlive yeah. you, I think it was. So we have here Lego Bricks. So you might think, oh, wow, Lego bricks, why will they last forever? Do you want to know why, Lucas? It's because every Lego brick ever moulded fits with every other Lego brick ever moulded. So Lego bricks from the very first batch of Lego bricks ever produced will still work and be compatible with ones made today. They can also survive up to 900 pounds of pressure. Yeah, I remember watching a couple of documentaries about Lego and that was basically like, the entire like foundation of Lego bricks was well we need to find a way for them to clip into every other brick mm-hmm. and that is like as you say something that to this day is like still true and it's still a foundation of the company that that tube design underneath the, the base of the brick is like basically why Lego won and became yeah, famous it's not, it's- and it's never changed. And the pertinent facts here about why would it last forever is that they can sell up to 900 pounds of pressure. They're made of incredibly high quality plastic, which is, um, rarely gets damaged or breaks. And the manufacturing process is so precise that 18 out of every 1 million bricks moulded ends up being thrown away. Fuck so, hell. And then we have Tonka trucks. Uh, so Tonka Tough is, is synonymous with um, just things that last for ages. Like when you say something's built Tonka Tough, it means it's built pretty sturdily yeah um but like uh, the pertinent facts here are that tonka toys are so tough they can be handed across generations like family heirlooms 
Um, they can be buried in mud. Like there's like there's, some of this is anecdotal, but there is stuff spot by the company. But um, da, 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 da. Um, one of the famous things that they did to advertise it was they had a Tonka truck, the very famous big yellow Tonka truck. Do you remember yep. that one? And I know this one because I had it. The big yellow um, Tonka dump truck. Do you remember this one? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I I don't remember what Tonka trucks I had, but whether I had it or not. Like, the first thing that comes to mind when someone says Tonka truck is, yeah, that big yellow dumpster truck. Yeah, I had one of those, and I can confirm that thing was fucking indestructible. And the company has had, uh, and continues to have, this um, guarantee. And the guarantee is simply that, um, if, uh, for the entire life of the original owner, if you break one through regular play, you will get it replaced free of charge. Oh, wow. According According to the company... Less than 10 people have ever successfully claimed and got self a new Tonka <laughs> toy. So there are all, like there are more people walked on the moon than ever broken a Tonka toy through regular play. And a famous advert they had was having a Tonka truck on stage and an elephant comes and steps on it, which a lot of people assumed was camera trickery or something like that. And no, it was a real Tonka truck that the elephant was told to step on and put its full weight on. I might quickly need to just like look this up while you talk about the next oh, time on the list. Oh, the Tonka truck advert. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one of the most famous adverts ever made. It's like one of those ones where it's like when you talk about like really good adverts that sold the product, the, the Tonka toy one is um, it's a big yellow Tonka truck and an elephant stands on it. And the elephant really did stand on the Tonka truck and it survived. So the next item is the George Foreman grill. Really? And so. You found this ad yet, Lucas? And tell me what you want to hear about the George Foreman grill. Uh, I've found the ad. I'm not going to listen to the audio. I'm just going to watch. Yeah, an elephant. So that's a real elephant and a real Tonka toy, and the elephant really does put its full weight. And folks at home, go look this up. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. It was quite easy. I just searched on YouTube. Just Tonka like, elephant. Tonka truck advert elephant. This is real. Yeah, it's a real elephant. That was really told to put its weight on the thing. That ad won loads of awards as well. Okay, so that was the yellow dumpster truck that we were talking about. There's one I had, yeah. I used to throw that thing. We had a, a little hill outside of our house. I used to throw that truck down it every fucking day. <laughs> and it was fine. I can confirm I put that thing through some fucking punishment. Yeah, and it never, it never but, got damaged. Um, yeah, so what happens in the advert is just quite simply the guy, I presume saying along the lines of like, this is our tongue truck, they're tough as fuck. Because I didn't listen to the audio, as I said. But... Um, and Built then proceeds to just put it on the floor. An elephant puts its front foot directly on like the middle of the Tonka truck, and mm-hmm. then lifts his other foot up, and it's like put fully putting the weight of its front foot on this Tonka truck, and it doesn't move. No, oh, yeah, the um, the truck took the full weight of an elephant. Can you think of any toy that you played with as a kid that could survive being stomped on by an elephant? A Game Boy. Probably, yeah. But that's besides the point. <laughs> Not going to lie, a Game Boy. The George Foreman grill, and the pertinent facts here are... I love as well, I'm just basically reading one of my old articles out now. Um, <laughs> it's, the guy who invented it spent 10 years perfecting the design and only approached George Foreman um, because he heard that George Foreman had a habit of, when he made burgers, what he'd do is he'd drain the fat off his burgers and then put it to the side so he could enjoy the burger without having the fat. And if anyone's ever used a George Foreman grill, you might know that that's exactly what a George Foreman grill does. Yeah, so the design of a George Foreman grill, if anyone doesn't know, is it's a slanted grill with a drip tray at the bottom. So when you press meat on the grill, it slides down into the drip tray and removes all the fat. 
Yes, and um, despite this sounding like the absolute perfect combination, because George Foreman did this himself at home, mm-hmm. like, this is something he did on his own, and it's the the George Foreman grill, the grill, I guess it was called before he got involved, like did this for him. He didn't really give a shit, and the story goes that he got sent one by his. Um, uh, his accountant or so, like, his some media manager mm-hmm. asking if he wanted to put his name on it. He forgot about it, left it in the kitchen. His wife made his kids a grilled cheese sandwich on it. Fun fact, all of George Foreman's kids are called George. Did you know that? No. Yeah, they're called George, except for the girls who are called Georgina. And when someone asked him once, said, you try getting punched in the face for 20 years and see if you remember all your kids' names. But um, the story goes that um, his wife made him a grilled cheese sandwich on it and his kids were like, that was the best grilled cheese sandwich I've ever had. And George Fong was like, well, I want to try this grilled cheese sandwich now and fell in love with the device. And the reason it's considered unbreakable is because the company has um, sales of the grill have flatlined, not because um, people don't want one, but because everyone who wants one has one, has bought one, and and they don't break. So... The, the company has gone on record as saying grills sold 10 years ago are affecting the bottom line because they won't break. And the people who wanted them have got them yeah, and they're so not I'll, breaking, so they won't replace them. And because they continue to work as advertised for, at this point, nearly 20 years without ever seeming to suffer any sort of detriment or downsides because it is just, the, like I said, a guy perfected the design and it's you just wipe it with a, a wet cloth mm-hmm. and you can grill on it again. The they've started to lose sales to themselves from the past. That's crazy. Yeah, and then we have the next one, the 3210. I think that that will speak for itself. Oh, I was going to say one thing. Okay. To clarify um, a lot of... Like, obviously, eating the fat on your food is not healthy. Mm-hmm. However, most chefs suggest that you cook things in the fat because that's where the flavour comes from. Oh, yeah. So, for example, like, you know, bacon... Um, I trim the fat off my bacon, but I do it after it's cooked because the the fat is where the flavour is. So, like, as much as it's a healthier option, I will say, if you are listening to us and for some reason taking any kind of cooking fucking advice, like cook your meat in the fat and then rinse the fat out later. Yeah, which is why um, you'll see people at the very least usually you'll drain a burger by putting on like um, kitchen towels or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The George Foreman grill, though, it takes it all away. Maybe it doesn't taste as nice, but yeah, I don't think it's so much of a revelation that fat tastes nice, which is why we love it. It's ease of use for sure. Yeah, and then the next one is the Nokia 3210, which I think it speaks for itself. But some of the um, the the funny facts that I dug up for this one is that when they re-released 3210, do you remember when they did that? It's like, oh, the Nokia brought back the 3210. I thought it was the 3310. One of those two, but they brought it back, didn't they? And um, yeah. said. It's a simple candy bar phone. Um, the very first thing journalists did when handed one by Nokia executives was throw it out of windows. <laughs> and Nokia not only anticipated that, but planned for it and made sure the phone would still work if it was thrown out of a window. Hell yeah. So just imagine that though. Oh, here's the brand new thing that we're putting <laughs> out today. Awesome. Throw it out of a window. I still remember when I got my new phone as a child, like... Um, fun like that. I had a Nokia 3310 hand me down from my older sister, mm-hmm. and then when I got the next hand me down from her a few years later, we went. How tough is this Nokia? Let's drop it out of the top window of our building. It like, still works. Of our house, and it was still it shattered, 
and then we put the pieces back together. It worked fine. There was no signs of damage. And I still have that Nokia 3310 in my drawer of my desk. Do you remember, though, the special one they made for uh, emergency services and the likes? My mum had one of these because she worked in a care home for at-risk children. So she needed a phone that the kids couldn't get and throw out of a window. So oh, right. they gave... Do you remember the rubber-coated one? Uh, not particularly, no. Oh, man. I don't know what specific one it was, but there was a Nokia that was, um, by default, covered in rubber. And it was one of the first early waterproof phones because everything was sealed with rubber. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was sealed with rubber and it was basically indestructible. And that's the one where um, she let us play with it as kids by dropping it down the stairs. Oh, wow. Okay. So the first day she got back from work with it and she was showing it off. Um, she said, oh, me and the girls in the office have been dropping it downstairs all day and handed it to us. <laughs> and we just dropped... And our game that day was dropping my mum's phone down the stairs. Imagine doing that with like an iPhone. Yeah, so on your iPhone, let's drop it down the stairs. Put it in the back of your Tonka truck and elephants stand on it. Yeah, like... It's nowadays is oh no it fell out of my pocket at waist height and now it's it's fucked. Yeah, it's dead. And um, you. Oh man, have you ever seen aware like... of like the uh, the other like thing that was a test of like durability and it's Nintendo's like fun. Was it the DS or the DS Lite? It was the original DS. The original one, right? Yeah, and it was uh, Iwata said, um, I want it to be able to survive being dropped from a metre in height um, and survive falling onto concrete without being damaged. Yeah. Because that's the height of the average child's breast pocket, which made it adorably thought the DS would fit in someone's top pocket. <laughs> Either way. Um, and the, the quote he said is, if a kid has it in the, bi- um, the basket of their bicycle and it comes flying out and it hits, it's not going to land on carpet, it's going to land on concrete. Oh, right, okay. And um, and didn't they make it that the test was like it had to drop 150 times and still work? Uh, Ten times. Ten times in a row while still working. And the Wii, um, the one that there, it was um, survived being pressed by 80 kilos for a period of up to a minute, which was supposed to simulate a parent stepping on their children's Wii on Christmas morning. Fucking hell. Because the Wii was quite small and he said a lot of kids might have it in the front room. Or they might have it on the floor of their bedroom mm-hmm. if a parent's, and a parent is going to step on it. Uh, we know that they shouldn't, but they're going to. That's an, it's, an, it's an eventuality that's going to happen at least one home somewhere. Yeah, for sure. And it's similar to the um, the Switch cartridges that taste horrible. And it's like, but nobody's going to try and eat a Switch cartridge. And it's like, but small children so, probably will. There'll be a child that tries to eat one. We have to anticipate. Like, we have to anticipate idiots. Basically, we have to. They accommodate human nature, is I believe the way I put it in the article I wrote about it. And um, there's a, a really great quote from a Nintendo engineer. Mm-hmm. They say me. We're similar. Or maybe it, was, it might have been Iwata again. Or, like, in a conversation with Iwata, it's um, uh, Nintendo's philosophy is quite similar to Apple's in that we um, in that we invent um, products that are easy to use by a number of people and are ergonomic in their design. The one yeah. difference being that. Um, if we have a choice between making something less likely to be damaged or a millimetre thinner, we'll choose the former. Apple chooses the latter. And it's like, oh, get <laughs> fucking wrecked, Apple. Because that's what I'd rather have. Yeah, it's what I'm most so consumers would rather have as well. I'm dropping my phone once and it being fucked forever. Yeah, but then the next one we have is cassette tapes. You might think, cassette tapes, they sound like they'd be really easy to break, but... Um, cassette tapes sell to this day and, in fact, selling greater numbers than they ever did in the 90s because they're incredibly hard wearing, very cheap and last for longer than CDs. Because even though CDs can hold information on them 
for longer because um, they degrade at a much slower rate. Mm-hmm. Um, CDs can be easily scratched, whereas cassette tapes, you can destroy the tape that they're in. But if you keep the spoon fine, you can put it into another tape and it's okay. But I haven't seen anyone use cassette, ca- cassette tape in years. Uh, they kind of got big after Guardians of the Galaxy again. Yeah, of course they did. And a lot of bands use them for LPs and things of that nature because they're really cheap to do and they're neat collector's items. Oh, so we've moved past, like, the vinyl collector's edition and gone to cassette version. Yeah, and cassettes continue to sell to say. And um, the pertinent fact here is that um, the Library of Congress of National... Uh, so the Library of Congress's National Library of Services for the Blind and Physically Handicapped has used them for decades in lieu of CDs because blind people find them easier to use. Hmm. And they continue to be useful and they will last for a long time. Maybe not with the same level of sound fidelity and quality, but uh, my um, little closing line here is, of course, like anything with tapes will eventually wear out, but it's impressive that you still listen to music on a format people said was dead 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, the next one is the CRT TV. Um, something that is weirdly prized in like the gaming community which is my very first point here because and do you know the reason for this lucas um is it not because of like the the lack of delay they have virtually no input lag whatsoever making them the best choice for playing video games on even when compared to high-end multiple thousands of dollar tvs that are custom made mm-hmm. like, there are specially made sony tvs that put output in 8k or whatever bollocks that have worse input delay than an old CRT TV you could dig up for $20 from a thrift shop. Trust me, Carl, I've been to a Super Smash Bros. Melee competition I'm quite well aware. Yeah, that they still use CRT because it's considered the standard and the only way to get close to, not better than a CRTV, uh, CRT TV, mm-hmm. is high-end uh, computer monitors, yeah. which even yeah. then still trail behind, like even, even then sometimes trail behind old TVs. Well, yeah, uh, they're that's also... why, like, um, like, I believe they still make modern CRTs because of the same reason. And uh, some people also believe that, like, the visual quality of CRT TVs is also, like, superior if you buy a high-end one. Yeah, they also sort of have I'm not, a retro um, quality. Like, an audio... Uh, te- like, audio-visual wizard or anything like that. Um, that's just what I've heard. Yeah, I've got a mate of mine who every time I'm playing COD with him will complain, like, oh, the input delay on this fucking screen is awful and uses that as an excuse every time he gets shot. So I'm playing on the same TV and I'm winning. (laughs) Maybe you just shit at COD. Anyway, um, they're also super durable and can survive being dropped, kicked and left on for almost an indefinite period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, While modern, um, slim LCD TV and plasma TVs cannot do the same thing and even high-end computer monitors will suffer burnout. Um, CRTVs don't. And they can also have bricks thrown at their screen, uh, pretty much entirely scratch resistant to most things you'd encounter in a household. Yeah. And uh, just, like, have you ever tried breaking a CRTV? Uh, not from memory, no. No, because I remember it, um, like the front glass is so thick you can throw a brick at it and it bounces off. Jesus Christ. And it's just like, yeah. And then we have Zippo lighters, which are literally guaranteed for life. Every single one sold comes with a lifetime guarantee. Oh, wow. And, and the company um, really, really does believe in this. And if you send them a Zippo lighter, um, and a, I think it's a single... No, no, sorry. The, the quote they use is, um, once you've bought one, you'll never spend a single penny 
uh, repairing it. And in that vein, every time the company sends one back after being repaired, they will glue a f- uh, freshly minted US penny inside the letter that comes with it. <laughs> as representing that no one should spend a penny to do it. And um, they will repair them, which doesn't really need to happen that much because they were designed to work in almost any weather condition, which mm-hmm. is why they are so often associated with the army. Yes, yeah. they could reliably be expected to light uh, in after being submerged in water and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And the wick that is in the um, uh, the lighter can outlive its owner. Really? Yes. Because it's constantly coated in um, I forget what it is you put inside them, but the thing you put inside them keeps them wet, so it never actually burns. And if it's properly taken care of, it will last. It will last longer than you will. And if you continue to maintain it and keep it like refueled, um, and say work in rain, sleet, and hail, you could reliably expect to use one your entire life and never have it run out, and then give it to your grandkids. Man, that's crazy. Which is why um, Zippo lights. I've, I don't smoke, but I really want a Zippo lighter for that one reason. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. just one of those things. That I, if I had it in a, a drawer, I know I will be able to produce a flame on command, pretty much guaranteed every single time. Mm-hmm. Then you have Fender guitars, which can last for decades and uh, and are so um, hard-wearing. One of the things that um, the guy who made them, uh, Leo Fender, did to sell them is he put them between two desks and stand on it and then stand and then play it. Jesus. And he couldn't play the guitar, but that's what he taught his salesmen to do. And salesmen to sell Fender Stratocasters um, in stores were told to do that. Uh, put it between two tables, stand on it, jump up and down... Get back down and play the guitar. Oh my god! Yeah, and like obviously nowadays, um, it's kind of become a bit of a trend to have like a weathered guitar. Yeah, and obviously they sell them as the you know kind of like quote unquote weathered versions of them, where they've artificially weathered the guitar to make it look a bit more vintage. Yeah, and then you also see. Oh look, I've had this Fender for twenty years, and it's worn over time, and like it sells for a lot more. Yeah, it still works. A friend of mine recently bought one, and he said it's about twenty-five years old, and it's second-hand, cost him about five hundred quid. Mm-hmm. So he was really hesitant to do it, but the moment he plugged it in, he knew. Yes, yeah. it's, it's, it sounded better than anything he's ever played. But yeah, the, uh, there are other there are probably anecdotal stories here of um, like salesmen were told to stand on the guitar and then play shows in tune, but other stores that were a bit more rock and roll would throw them out of windows. I'll throw them <laughs> off of roofs to show them that it'd still work when they hit the ground. Oh my god. And then we have flash memory, um, which doesn't sound like it'd be that hard wearing, but it's noted by um, FBI experts and the CIA and that thing that um, it is almost impossible to actually destroy flash memory. They're easy to lose, because I think we've all lost a flash drive at some point, but um, you could set one on fire, hit it with a hammer and throw it under... Uh, throw it into a lake in that order and if someone found it and uh, they would be able to get information from it bloody hell so it's almost impossible to completely destroy a flash drive um, via conventional means and then the final one is a cast iron pan which is what inspired today which can last um, hundreds of years and there are people who've had ones that were made in the 1850s that still work as good as the day they were made oh my god and yeah, and like, that's the kind of thing I used to research way, way back in the day. <laughs> and that was written by a young man called Carl Smallwood back in 2014. Wow. And I still remember, and I still remember a lot of the facts that are on that. Mm-hmm. Which is the weirdest part to me, but yeah, man. 
Fucking hell. Things like is it nice when things are built to last instead of dying immediately? Yeah, um like one thing you know, as I've mentioned before, like I'm a very, very big gamer and keep all of my consoles. And the fact that like I know some consoles are gonna be built to last. Like I still plug in my Mega uh, Sega Master System two and it works, but I know like if I plug in my PS3, there's it a might die. It might not. Yeah. Same thing with mine. Um, I've got um, looking at my shelf now. I can see it. I've got a GameCube, a SNES, a PS3, a PS1, a PS2 that I can just see at the moment. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact that the thing that lasts the longest there is the PS1 and the uh, the SNES. Yeah. <laughs> my PlayStation One. Do you know they still sell them? People still there's a um, an aftermarket for them because they're really good CD players. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Audio files um, believe that they one of the finest CD players ever made. And they will play music from a CD better than almost anything made today. And that's why, like, partly the reason PS1 and PS2 sold so well is, like, they were basically uh, Trojan horses uh, getting in through being good CD or DVD players. Same thing. I think that's my most of gaming history. Wasn't it the very, the the reason we even have games today is because Nintendo sold Rob uh, and yeah, said it was a NES toy. Was sold as a toy that was that like played an video games for the Rob robot operator buddy toy, and the NES was basically sold as the accessory to the toy, not Rob being the accessory to the console. Yeah, and then you had the PlayStation One, which was in some markets sold as a CD player with that could play games, and then the PS Two was a um, a DVD player that could play games and then is it the PS3 that could play Blu-rays or the PS4? Yeah, PS3 was one of the cheapest Blu-ray players around at the time. Yeah, so even ones made by Sony. Like, even Sony Blu-ray players were, che- were more expensive than a Sony PlayStation 3 which was intentionally sold at a loss. And as well, like, what do you turn around and do to your parents? Oh, well, uh, we could get a Blu-ray player but what about a cheaper Blu-ray player that also plays games? It's yeah. like, well, you're going to go for the cheaper Blu-ray one that plays and games. that's how you do it. So cool. But I think we've we talked for a long time, and I don't know how we went from the um, the horrific crimes going on in America to um, talking about cast iron pans. But I'm glad well, that you're here on this, this journey podcast, with me. I guess. I'm glad you're on this journey with me, Lucas. And I'm hoping, say for the first 20 minutes, if there is anyone out there that was just shooting the shit for an hour or two, was a distraction from the hell world that we now all live in. Like, I... I wouldn't be surprised if I went, because I've got all my doors closed at the moment, so like soundproof this room. If I went outside and looked at my window and just doom eternal was happening. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if I looked outside and oh, doom's happening. Yeah. I'm just in doom world now. Fuck it. Giant meteor 2020. But uh, is there anything you'd like to plug before we um, end on, my friend? Yeah, of course. Um, at the end of this podcast, I normally, you know, do the good old plug of my YouTube channel. And... Um, that is Legend of Kanto. Um, Do you put links to these below? On there of me and Carl playing games. And also like my Twitch channel. Uh, I do streaming. Same again. Legend of Kanto. And yeah, just stream like two, three times a week maybe. And just chill out with some friends and my girlfriend. And just play some random games. I like that. Your, um, your girlfriend's not your friend. But do you um, link these below, yes? Uh, no. Oh, well, you, you know what, Lucas? You start doing that. <laughs> Because people aren't going to click if you don't do that. So hopefully Lucas has linked to his own stuff below. And he's not going to link to my stuff because I don't like doing that. Okay. I'll take that hit. And I'm hoping, I wonder if that's something people have ever noticed where if I ever share information 
about the channel. If it's ever me who writes it, I always make sure I link your guys' stuff first. Yeah, so you can I always tell if I write something. If you you'll see there's um, even like, I think a Christmas video where I'm talking about all the content we all make, mm -hmm. and I deliberately went out of my way to make sure I spoke last. Where it was everyone else talks about what they did first before me. All oh, right, okay, it's, yeah. Because I'm very mindful of the fact it makes it seem like everyone else's stuff secondary when you're the reason the channel's a success, and you're we appreciated, mate. And I'm glad that you're here with me to talk this shit. But um, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a nice day.